Ready, Dave? This is where the party begins. Yeah. People of Earth, I am Jordan Cooper. I'm Dave Fox. And this is Don't Let's Start, a podcast about They Might Be Giants. And we are continuing our journey through Flood. Uh, we're going to start right away, but I just wanted to say one thing. Uh, so we're not. Yesterday, me and Dave saw The Lighthouse. Yeah. Dave, did you like the, the movie? I loved it. How does it relate to They Might Be Giants? I was just going to say, find out. I was thinking about Willem Dafoe's character and, you know, I respect him a lot, but I'd be fired if that were my job. <laughs> huh. I got to not look at Dave when I try out a joke on him because his, his, <laughs> the hatred in his eyes is, it really throws me. I liked it a lot. I like The Witch slightly better. Mm, yeah, two, the same director as The Witch. Two very different movies, so maybe not... Mm. Um, fair to compare them. Linnell uses the the mythology for his lighthouse mention, Jason and the Argonauts. There you go. And the movie kind of touched on, I'm not going to spoil it, the movie touches on, you know, metaphorical, mythological things yeah. also from the similar vein. And it's like, what is it about lighthouses that are... I think it's the solitude. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's just inherently uh, something that makes people go crazy because <laughs> yeah. of the loneliness. I visited a lighthouse once. Actually, you know, the Roosevelt Island lighthouse was built by mental institution uh, patients. I think I do very well as a lighthouse keeper, personally. <laughs> I am very comfortable being alone for four months at a time. In fact, <laughs> yeah, I'd rather be alone I really now. have to force Dave to come over to do this podcast one block away. Before we move on to more songs on Flood, I just wanted to say we have a Twitter, at Don't Let's Pod, and we have an email, don't let's start podcast at gmail.com. And we want you to email us your fears and desires. Mostly your fears. So anyway, we're going to jump right into Flood. From lighthouse to racist friends, here is a segue. <laughs> so we're going to go right to track six, your racist friend. Here we go. This is where the party ends. I can't stand here listening to you and your racist friend. I know politics bore you, but I feel like a hypocrite talking to you and your racist friend. It was the loveliest party that I've ever attended. So a song about racial disharmony with a beautiful harmony. <laughs> From, so Jordan, from, from John and John, yeah, yeah. What's your question? How do you like having a song written about you? Yeah, um, I was honored. Um, <laughs> I thought that. Yeah. Think, so think about that question, though. <laughs> yeah. It's about your racist friend. Oh, oh, it's about you. See? Yeah, I did it to myself. Yeah, good, good. That saved me. Oh, I got to delete all my notes now. <laughs> now you're famously racist. Yeah. Um, go ahead. Go ahead. I'll do that later. I have a lot there, of racist. I jokes. have like thousands of pages of notes on the, the next few songs we're going to talk about. So You're telling me or the listeners? I'm telling both of you, <laughs> but you and our one listener. I'm telling. Okay. Well, let's see. We we can talk about the music. We can talk about the lyrics. We can talk about the subject matter. Or we could talk about racism. We can just talk for three, I for three one am against it about the notion of racism. I take a hard stance against racism, except for the following races. <laughs> yeah. Number one. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Go ahead. 
Uh, for I'll just say first of all, I'll just I'll start with music. Yeah, good music. Um, music is a nice non political uh there's no words that's, that's true and music sometimes doesn't have words so okay music can't be racist <laughs> <laughs> so i like the ominous e minor chord intro of the song right so it's yeah. kind of like telling you like a bad thing is about to happen Here's you know what i mean it's funny like we've said they might be giants are, are known for like the music contrasting with the lyrics but when it when it does go with the lyrics i i think that's like a good stuff to talk about yeah i don't think these things are planned out as such uh because i've noticed in my in my own songs i've done uh, it just works out sometimes like i'm just like oh that really went with that lyric without me planning to and then we just kind of accept it and are happy but anyway so but then there's a turn and the music is happy. Yeah. So the <laughs> and the lyrics are kind of. There is this wonderful melodic and fun chord. It's a very happy song for the for most of it, except for that E minor chord. Uh, mm -hmm. And for, I guess so. So the chorus is very happy and pleasant sounding. There's a lot of really great like accordion, you know, in one ear, and then in the the second verse you have the guitar playing and the so they're bouncing off each other very in a very pleasing way. But then the the verses are these kind of like insane loud guitar. I was going to say it's mm -hmm. kind of like an Anna Ing, the gate on the yeah, guitar. Like, dun, dun, without any trailing off, you know, no reverb right, as far as I can tell. So, yeah, I, I think the song like captures the feeling of like the choruses are like, I'm trying to have fun at this party. Part, yeah, exactly. And then the verses are like, I something, I, something is getting in my way. Yeah, like the lighthouse. Like the lighthouse, yeah. I like when we the Johns can say what the songs are about in their own words. Mm -hmm. And so Flansburg has talked a lot about this song. There's actually a really early, there's a 1988 performance of uh, this song. And Flansburg, I guess because it was so new, I think whatever the song was inspired by, like just happened, because he seems kind of annoyed in this uh, clip that I just wanted to Do you think Linnell was the racist friend at yeah, a party? Yeah, this song's about Linnell at a party. But here, here, Dave, actually, I'm going to play this for you, and yeah. you can hear Flansburg's take on, on his own song. Let's listen. We got to fix the accordion here. I'll tell you about this next song. I went to a party once, and there was a guy there who had a wee bit, way too much to drink. And, oh, wait. It wasn't a pretty sight because he started telling me about a lot of um, really fucked up ideas in his mind. And, um, what did you do in your face, Ben? And, um, and then he uh, he sort of uh, moved. He sort of put his his face in my face, and that's when I decided I I should write this song. And um, this song is called Racist Friend. Landsberg has said in later interviews that the song is fictional. It's about the general idea mm -hmm. of this kind of thing happening. But I feel like in this clip, which is from December 1988, uh, I feel like it's, it seems like he's not saying it's fictional. Why would he say later on that it was fictional? Just because he doesn't like say, revealing too much. I think we. I think this comes up a lot on this show. They they will, like I will play like the interview clips that are contradict each other. <laughs> you think they walk some ideas back? Because they just like get uncomfortable. Yeah, or maybe they don't want it to name names. <laughs> or, <laughs> but in terms of lyrically, they have said many times that this song is not political. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I'm obsessed with this topic. Uh, I think me and Dave, you know, off mic, we, we're, we generally agree that we're, we're not super into like at least our own art and music we've made is, is pretty. I feel like it's more about personal experiences, yeah, and I would, sure. I would almost say. That strange mix of personal 
and universal. Like we'll mm-hmm. talk about the time like a girl made us sad. Yeah. <laughs> the one time yesterday. And, yeah. and while it's about a specific thing that like happened to us, it's also like, well, I'm sure people will find something, take something out of this story. You know what I mean? Well, like the person in the song, politics bore me. Yes, this is what I want to talk about. <laughs> so the reason they have that line, I know politics bore you, it, it does seem like it's like they're a self-defense or a defensive. Right, yeah, yeah. It's like a defensive line. Like, we're, we're not writing a political song. Don't worry. A song like Racist Friend would have to be seen as being, you know, quite a, 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 a big statement. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, I think that that's, so that's sort of, you know, maybe confusing. And this may sound, you know, contradictory, but... I think that it's a coincidence that the song happens to be, you know, on the what we would consider the right side of the fence politically. You know, that it's that it's telling you something. The thing is, the song doesn't really tell you how to think. You know, it's still it's still up to people to make their own decisions. And I'm always very suspicious of bands that do try and tell people how to think. You know, I don't think it's really the job of a of a person with a guitar to tell you what your political view should be. It's funny because the, the song of late has, I feel like, taken on a very politically charged sure. vibe. I think a lot of things have. Yeah, which I have. It's in the air. Uh, some mixed feelings about because I, the, I guess one of the things I love about They Might Be Giants personally is that they're more about these larger themes yeah. of existential uh, you know, dread and, and life and death and not as much about judging or 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 smudging yeah so it's it's a strange topic but it's something that i think about a lot tell me about this song on on the new album called your racist friend well that's an interesting song just in that um it's definitely a much more straightforward song than previous songs on our records i mean it, it might seem really out of character in the sense that it's dealing with a very serious subject matter but i think you know there's still an element of the lyrics are consistent with what we've written about in the past. It's just maybe it doesn't have, I mean, there's metaphors in it and just like on a lot of our songs and it's, it's a lyrical song and it, mm. or it, you know, it has elements of, of songwriting that are not, it's not just this confrontational, confessional, direct song. It is what it sounds like. It, 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 is. it does kind of stand out a little bit though from the from the they might be giants over so yeah. to speak. Well uh, it seemed like a good issue to to bring up. Actually it's funny because it was written about a year and a half ago which seemed like a distinctly different time in terms of the racial mood of New York City. I mean now it seems completely contemporary with the current state of today in New York because there's so much racial strife. Mm. But actually the song is written about a very personal kind of experience that is more a constant whether you know racism is in the headlines or not it's sort of about dealing with you know your friends and dealing with racism this more subtle kind of racism that happens all the time like i personally i have one political song i wrote and the political song i wrote i wrote it during the george w bush presidency and it doesn't mention him or anything it's very vague it's just called mad at him and it's just saying like i'm so mad at him it almost could have been about like a childhood friend or whatever Mm -hmm. like it's not there's no lyrics that are specifically political in the song because i wouldn't it doesn't appeal to me and and i'm not saying there's not great political songs because there there are um you know this band i love the rio statics they have a lot of politically charged songs and they're fucking pretty awesome like i love them but i guess for me it's like 
and this doesn't count with this song because everyone knows racism is bad, but it's like, if you're yeah. going to write about, let's say like a specific political topic, like this one event that happened, it's like, oh, what if like more info comes to light and you were like wrong on your, sure. in your take? And then it feels like embarrassing. But to me, the song is about a social interaction. Right. It's not like someone who's like a Republican or a Democrat, uh, you know, going on and on about their political party or anything. Linnell has said like, the the idea of that it's someone at the party who's saying a racist thing is almost incidental. It's not about what the guy's saying. It's about the moment at a party where you're uncomfortable. Yeah, for me, that's when you walk in the door. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny because Linnell, not even Flansburg as much, but Linnell has a lot of songs about being uncomfortable in social situations. So one, one thing that's interesting to me about John and John in terms of politics, at least at the time, by the way, like I, I should preface the, the interview clips I use, like these are from like 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. So it's like, the, obviously their opinions are allowed to change. So we're not trying, I guess I could say this for every episode we do. We're not trying to like hold their feet to the fire about a thing they said in 1989 mm-hmm. on, an, on a radio show. Um, I just find it interesting to see where their heads were at at the time. But anyway, there is this long discussion where Flansburg talks about like how he hates politics and music. And yeah. he, he like actually, he says he, that he finds it repellent. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just don't, I just don't believe in the, in the whole like hero thing. I don't, I really want to be anybody's hero. You know, I don't want to be a spokes, spokesman for anybody. You know, I don't, I don't, I, I feel like, you know, we write interesting songs and that's, and we like put, as much energy as we can into that and that's our focus and and it's it's out there for anybody who's interested i i think it's like there's this there's this very specific kind of rock performer who wants to lead people and tell people how to dress and tell people how to think and 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 i i just find that like repellent so you know i mean to me it's like you know i think if you want to tell people what to do, you should really get into politics, you know? I mean, and I, we got asked by the, um, you know, the, what is that, rock the vote people to yeah, do. To, we've been, yeah, on, on a number of occasions we've been asked yeah. to do that thing. And I don't even know how I feel about, you know, I don't, I mean, I don't want to tell, I don't, I don't want to tell people to vote, you know, if they're not, they're not smart enough to figure out that they should vote. You know, they shouldn't take my word for it. You know, maybe you know, maybe they should not. What vote. kind of vote would it be if they only went out because? You right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just like it's so brain dead to think that you know, like, oh yeah, rock guy told me to vote. It's such a surface kind of cultural shift. If you know, if people are just following some somebody who that they who they think is like interesting or or does good artistic work. You know, I, I think it's it's not. If that affects people's political views, then then there's not really a lot there in the first place. And, you know, that's that's a real problem for me. The idea that someone who finds politics and music repellent writing a song that everyone sees as political and then having to kind of defend that choice is like a fascinating thing to me. Because I think this comes up a lot with them where they're like, we're not a funny band. And then they write like a funny song. Mm -hmm. And there's like, oh, everyone's laughing at our funny song. (laughs) Or like, you know, we don't like being called like children's music, but then it's like they'll write a song that like parents love playing for their kid. I mean, I think when a political song is done well, it's incredibly effective, especially considering my favorite band is Bad Religion. Yeah, I was going to ask you. A lot of political stuff. But like you said, my favorite songs that they've written are about their personal points of view and their feelings sometimes the two are intertwined yes of and course. i'm actually for example trying to write a song right now that's semi-political and Ooh. my guitar player which i've never really done and my guitar player carl is saying like well because he knows i'm not that political either he's like tell it from the point of view of like how this is all making you feel you know yeah the anxiety it causes or yeah yeah, yeah. I, and, the, and the basic point is just like everyone is stupid <laughs> I'm just see yeah like I'm I'm just personally more interested in in one 
I'm interested in ideas that are hard to grasp. So, yeah. so like, as you and can articulating tell, them. yeah. So like they might be giants lyrics to me are so fun when I don't understand what a song is about mm -hmm. fully uh, or at all. <laughs> a song that's being like, we think racism is bad to me is a little more dull than a, a song like it's not my birthday or something that's, or I could pick another Flanders right. song or a song like hearing aid coming up, you know, like something that's a little more um, open to interpretation. So I would say, right. Cause no one's going to say, well, what about the other side of racism? <laughs> yeah. The positive side. Yeah. So I would say like there are aspects of the lyrics and we'll, we'll point out like there are lines that I love in this song, but I, I would say as a whole, like it's never been a huge favorite song of mine. Um, I would say that at least for their first few albums, I feel like every song I had a period of like, I'm obsessed with the song, you know, cause that's just how I was as a fan. There was a period where I really liked Your Racist Friend yeah. a lot, but I feel like in, in the years since I've kind of like been a little lukewarm to it. Yeah, I feel I like agree. there's not as much left to wonder about the song. I certainly like it. I don't think it would be like on repeat. Yeah. It's a very good song live. I'll yeah, it that. is a good song live. I like not that, to jump ahead. No, yeah. I, I like that they both sing it, which is always like yeah. nice <laughs> <They're>, <laughs> when they both sing the song. I have this really early version from September 1988. So it's like even before Flood was on the radar. And Flansburg just sings the verses himself, and it does sound weird. Hmm. <laughs> so I'll play, I'll play that. One thing that jumps out uh, uh, to me about this September 88 version is how similar it is to the album version. It's like how much they already planned out. Like in, in, in this uh, show, he says he just wrote it. <laughs> and it's like the drums and everything is exact and the bass. It seems like it's exactly like on the album, which is amazing to me. It's like the song barely needed to grow. Right. Which well, is, some things are just fully formed. Yeah, yeah. It's like, what does the producers even... I guess that's why they really just produce themselves at this point. Yeah, just get it down. Because <laughs> what else can you do? Dave, I wanted to ask you, have you yeah. ever had an experience like in the song? <laughs> and, and don't mention the times you've talked to me. <laughs> I was going to ask you the same thing. I have an answer, but I'm, I'm asking you first out of politeness. Oh, well, that's very disingenuous. <laughs> have I ever had an experience where I'm at a party and someone was racist? It doesn't have to be a party. Have I ever, have I ever had a friend that was racist? Have you ever had well, any racist not, experience? In, in, the song, in the song, it's not his friend. It's a friend of a friend. Right. It's not called my racist friend because then he'd have to be like, they should have called we it still that. hang out and <laughs> we're getting coffee tomorrow. Have you ever had yeah, a friend of a friend with a racist rant or any kind of uncomfortable rant? Well, I will say like at a, at a social gathering, uh, one time a racial epithet for Jewish people was used around me. Oh, and I don't, vey. I don't, oi gavolt. And I don't know if the person realized, uh, I was Jewish. Were they, was but then again, a, just what, don't use it anyway. No, I, yeah. <laughs> was there a context? Were they talking about the word itself or? 
No, it, it wasn't like a historical study of the word. <laughs> <laughs> okay, he wasn't do, no, he it doing was, a slideshow. It was just like a bad joke. Oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah, that's, yeah. And it wasn't a racist joke. It was a joke that didn't need a racist punchline. Mm. It wasn't even a joke. It was just like half a saying. And I was Why like, did the chicken cross yeah, the Yeah, well, basically it was like shoehorning in, you know, something like that. That sounds uncomfortable. But this and, is what um, I want. I wanted to get into an uncomfortable conversation with you to, to every in the spirit of this song. Yeah, more than usual, I mean. Thank you for reminding me of that. Yeah. I had, I had tried to block it out. And then I think, yeah, my wife was like, uh... Do you want to walk that back? Because <laughs> yeah, and it's not even like I, I I'm super connected to you know the Jewish heritage that that would bother me, but I just don't like hearing any kind of. It's weird, yeah, because you know, I'm not either. But I, I would still be feel a little strange. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, I guess that's a light way of, of that's how I'd feel strange. <laughs> I don't know, but I don't know. I I, I try not to like hate people. Um, I mean, you know, language is a funny thing. Uh, sometimes. Uh, like I was at a convention once and, and the guy next to me was like cursing comic book convention, a comic book convention, people don't know a vacuum cleaner convention. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, Dave is a traveling salesman. You know, and again, my wife was next to me setting up and this guy was just like dropping F bombs and it was like nine o'clock in the morning and she's like, Jesus, like I haven't yeah, even had my coffee yet. You I know, know what like, you mean? Not that I'm like a prude about like no, cursing we, clearly, we but fuck all the time. Yeah. But I do. Th yeah, it is true. There is like, like a weird. Ugh, it's like so early. Can we not just be like, oh, this fucking guy over here. Ah, gah, 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 you know, this could capture the song, too. It's just like sometimes there's just a tone that feels off. Like there's a hostility or you're just like, it's not that the person's not saying something I would never say or like saying fuck this shit or whatever. But it's like like so I work as a background person on TV shows and stuff. And it's like. So in my head, I might be complaining like, oh, we've been here for 12 hours. I'm so tired. But then this happens a lot. There are people on these jobs who complain so much yeah. that you're just like, dude, just shut up. Like we're all in the same, like you don't have to keep reminding well, me how professionalism. You know. Yeah. That's yeah, all exactly. it is. We need a veil of civility in this society so and professionalism. I'll, so I'll say my story. I probably have more than one, but I was when I was doing um, OK Cupid dating for a few years. That's online dating for those that don't know. Yeah, um, I've never done it. My experience doing that could be a podcast because I have yeah. like about fifty or a lot so. of racists on OK Cupid. Huh? I have a lot, a lot of stories. So I was on an OK Cupid date with a girl, and uh, this girl, I'll just say she was not white, but she said a very. You mean she wasn't the best race? <laughs> but she said a very racist thing yeah. about a different race of people. Yeah. And I was very shocked. Um, I yeah. went on five more dates. <laughs> well, you weren't that shocked. I was shocked, but um, I was lonely and uh, But you needed that D. Attracted I mean, her. P. But I will say, um, <laughs> thanks for clarifying that. I mean, V. Uh, so yeah, we're sitting there. She says this thing. Yeah. I'm just kind of like, oh, I I felt like the song, like I was like, I don't want to, I'm not going to storm out. You know, I don't know how people act these days, but I, I still, you know, I try to just like, it's hard to explain. I try to be like civil. A coward. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's not like I was going to be like, I can't believe you said that and, and walk away. Like yeah. we finished the date and, you know, all that stuff. But it's, it's like that episode of Seinfeld. Your brain was playing chess with your penis. It, it was like that episode. <laughs> it was. It was really strange. Penis always wins. And I will say that this girl, in every other uh, instance, she was pretty awful. Like she was really mean to me. This was a. This was like a few dates later. She was like very, very uh, mean in the things she said about to me about still me. Still confused why you'd still go out with her. Uh, well, I broke it off over the phone, and then she called me back a few hours later saying, "Let's let's keep trying." And I was like, "No, but you're like we can, but first... 
You have to take a civil rights class. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, if anyone's interested in what she said, email us. Oh, at, come on. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But um, it was, it was, I, I did feel the song in that moment because I was just like, I, I'm in a social situation. I'm not going to just like uh, flip up the table and walk away. That's but my dream. At the same time, I have no idea what to say. I don't know what to do. See, I think nowadays. She's not screaming it from a podium. She's right. just sitting, we're having dinner together. It's weird, you know. You know, I think nowadays it would be a lot more common for someone to actually just stop the conversation that's what I cold. Feel. Yeah, and, and be I like, think be, hey, I think that's a good bub, thing. Or uh, what's the female of bub? Bubette. Hey, <laughs> hey, Bubette. I should have said that, man. You know, you know those times when you look back in your life of what you should have said. Just now, this is going to haunt me. I should have yeah. said, "Hey, Bubette." <laughs> uh, well, that's my gift to you. So I wanted to segue from our sharing our stories to sharing with the listener an incredibly uncomfortable series of uh, radio clips from an interview where this happens to They Might wow. Be Giants. That's a great segue. Live for your ears. Bravo. And I want to say some of our more sensitive listeners might be pretty bothered by some of the stuff in these clips. We're going to talk about them. And I, I just want to say, I mean, I find this hilariously awkward and uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. I mean, me and Dave have like dark senses of humor. So so this that's where we're coming from. So you remember our good friend Man Cow? <laughs> um, my good friend. Yeah. <laughs> so Man Cow uh, says a few, a few things to them in this interview from 1998 uh, that is is kind of crazy to confront John and John with and it's it's I think it's amusing and uncomfortable to hear them squirm around during this but I do admire them they they hold their ground really well so I'm going to play these for Dave and the listener at the same time is and man cow still around I don't know if he's still around I want to get interviewed by him and by oh I want to preface this also I'm not trying to like destroy man cow <laughs> I'm not trying to like shame him or say he's bad mm -hmm. um he's a shock jock he's being a a, a dick <laughs> in these in in these clips but i'm not i'm not like the kind of person who like judges people you know in that way but i i do want to say that he's a huge jerk to they might be giants in these clips and i'm pretty sure they did his show many times after hmm. or at least a few so i don't think anyone took it personally maybe it was just a persona yeah that, that's kind of where I'm, I'm going with that but i'm gonna play these clips and uh please enjoy hearing your racist friend lived out as a little one-act play oh, hey. hey uh guys yeah. So what is the music? I know you, you know, people like to label me. They can't. Is it just beyond labeling? Well, you know, when we talk to old people, we just say, uh, you know, I don't like the Beatles. And, um, <laughs> and when we talk to young people, you know, uh, you know, the thing about our, I think our music is that it's, it's pretty easy to understand. It's just kind of hard to describe. No, 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 no. What, what is it in record stores? What would we go? What would we go to? I believe. Yeah, it's rock. Yeah, it's in the rock it's section. It's in the, it's in the, the rock section, section too. But this stuff is not rock. You've got an accordion. It's polka. For Christ's sake. I'll tell you something I learned about They Might Be Giants. What? I learned something very important today. Right. I remember uh, the shows that I've seen of you guys, and now it's really clear. I remember thinking, my God, this is a bunch of people that look just like me. We're a eclectic, freakish bunch that likes They Might Be Giant. Mm. And, um, Al, I noticed by the look on your face, now I remember why I don't think I've ever seen a black person at a They Might Be Giant show. <laughs> yeah, this is kind of like talking about? black person repellent. I want to say uh, Man Cow's sidekick is a is a black man. Mm. <laughs> so the guy who said it's like black person repellent, that's a black shock jock with mm. him. So just so you know, it's not a bunch of like white guys making fun of. Yeah. You know, so it's it's kind of like a communal <laughs> mm. <laughs> thing. But anyway, let's let's keep listening. Do you have any black fans? Honestly, come on. Yeah, yeah. I just can't sure. see a black guy snapping his fingers to birdhouse of my soul. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's a little bit of a stereotype there, my friend. 
Uh, well, you're right. You're right. Al, what did you think of it? <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I don't said. know. I, okay, I'm trying right, to thank get you. it. You were rolling you. your eyes. What? So Flansburg holds his ground. He he's uncomfortable. Yeah. This I feel like this is like what could have happened at this party. Like he's him saying that's a stereotype kind of. Uh, you can hear there's he's kind of seething a little. Yeah. With you know we have to be going down this road right now. Yeah, I don't think it's important. No, well, yeah. I mean, I guess we can talk about that. Here, here's more. I, <laughs> Keeps, uh, man. A, I mean, it might be irrelevant. Everybody's free to choose whatever they listen to. That's true. Um, and I also don't think it's uh, absurd to notice that different kinds of people like different kinds of music. Like sure. certain, certain. It's a you go to a thing, concert friends. and you notice like who's there, and it's that's fine. But it's not an exception. That's yeah. all. Yeah. So here's here's more because Mancow really doesn't want to get off of this. No, you guys I mean, don't swear. Oh, yes. You got mad at me. Don't. But I, I got to tell you, I have been to a lot of uh, of your shows. I've been yeah. to five five of your shows, and I, I don't think I've ever seen a black guy there. Uh, there's... <laughs> I don't even know where to start with this. What, you never ordered a drink when you were there? No, but there... Oh! <laughs> the black guy said it, fellas. <laughs> well, that must Ready, make Martin it right, Coke. Oh, No, but... <laughs> but, but I... <laughs> You know, no, come on now. Come He's on. a black guy, isn't he? Okay, now listen. <laughs> They're selling tickets. Now listen, fellas, fellas, yes, not, yes. not to rub your liberal sensibilities the wrong way, <laughs> but what, am I telling the truth or not? I, what's what's your point, man? What's the just well, say? Well, you, you, you're playing me off to be like I'm, I'm stereotyping. No, I'm, no, I'm no, a, no. We're I'm just, looking, just saying that, that there telling, are in fact black people in our audience. Is all the white saying, kids, all the white kids in the studio are stabbing their fingers. The everybody's going, everybody's going. Uh, little birdhouse in your soul, boo do 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 do, and a bee the bee in your body, and a little birdhouse. I'm sorry, I just don't. You know, there are a lot of white people in the world, man. Al Roker Jr. thing. Al Roker. I'm sure there's white people that don't like you, but Al Roker stand over there going oh god this is such white people music birdhouse in your soul you gotta understand what he listens to smack my bitch and stuff like that kill the cop kill the kill the white cop and run the red light that's his favorite song pop that coochie yeah stuff you know like that bitch got back he don't want to hear about little bee in my bonnet kill the white cop and run the red light that's his favorite song my body count you know <laughs> no offense, CMBG. Hey, yeah, yeah, no, well, yeah, yeah, whatever, cool. whatever but, blows uh, your hair back. But I, but I said it, and you guys are like, oh, no, uh, we're number one with Negroes. They love us. <laughs> You're like all offended. We didn't say that. I know. That's not That's not a... Uh, no, you said, let's, let's get back to the actual facts. All right. You said, are there black people at your shows? Because uh, I don't yes, remember any. there are black people at our shows. All right. Now, are they the ones carrying the equipment? Oh, oh. They're, they're, they're in the audience. They're enjoying the music. Your guitarist is looking back, just oh man, he's he's this guy. We'll never do this show again. We'll never, <laughs> we'll never come back to Q one one. So I'm flabbergasted. Yeah, I was excited. I've been excited for months to, to play these. Wow, you've been sitting on that. Yeah, I have. Um, so there's a lot to unpack. There's there's a lot there. I think I need to come back. <laughs> I, I want to come. Yeah. Well, I want to. I want to come back to the the general idea of my point of playing it, which is that it's like it's, I think it's funny to see an illustration of the song. Yeah. Uh, not that I'm saying Man Cow is racist. Right. I think it's more that he's j- joking around in a shock jock way that at the time in the sure. 90s was very common. Actually. I don't think it's common anymore. No, it's it's uh, fallen out of favor. Yeah. Um, it's funny. I watched Halloween uh, 6 uh, the other week because I watched spooky movies in October because I am a cool guy. And um, <laughs> well, I watch spooky movies all year round, actually. I've watched less spooky movies in October than yeah, all Dave, year. Yeah, Dave is too spooked. Um, yeah. but October is my month off. Yeah. <laughs> Dave watches uh, r- rom-coms. And yeah. All. 
So um, terrifying. <laughs> so I was watching Halloween Six, which yeah. I didn't know before watching it was made in 1995. Was there, uh, racial epithets in it? No, no. My point is, it was made <laughs> in 1995, and it was very, very 90s in an amusing yeah. way. And what was funny is there's like a subplot about a shock jock <laughs> huh. who's like coming to to do a show in the house that Michael Myers was born in as like a Halloween uh, kind of special. Was he asking why there were no black people in Halloween? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, to me, it's it's a very 90s thing is the shock jock thing. And I will say, though, in, in defense of all of these uh, clips and everything, I mean, look, at least he's not asking them how they thought of the name they might be giants. It's, it's true. It, I have to say, I, I've been logging hours and hours and countless hours of, of interviews, and this was the most entertained I've, I've ever <laughs> been because it is interesting to hear them outside of, of the comfort zone of a, the very polite sure. kind of interviews they normally do. I think they handle it very well. Yeah. It's clear what their, their thoughts are. They, they don't they don't catch themselves like laughing at what he's saying because that would be you know possibly incriminate them mm-hmm. in some way they they argue back a little and and but i also i also think it, it is a fair thing to say that like the audience for they might be yeah. giants is mostly white and nerdy i people. think it's a fair thing to say i just don't think it matters yeah so i, I, guess, I don't think it should be a point of um you know conversation I don't know, because then it's like, well, it, it could be an interesting conversation be like, why do d- different uh, types of people like d- are attracted yeah. to different kinds of music? Like, I don't think that's worthless, sure. though. Obviously, he's not trying to have. I don't think that's what he was getting. He's at, trying yeah. to get under their skin, which, again, I'm sorry, John and John, I, I find it entertaining yeah. <laughs> to hear. Um, but I also think he's a, he's a little rude to them. But I will say, yeah. like, they do these funny, um, like, radio songs for his show and stuff. Mancow's Morning Madhouse, a free speech radio. Mancow's Morning Madhouse, a free speech radio. Hi, this is John of They Might Be Giants, and you're listening to Mancow on Free Speech Radio. I honestly don't think anything is, is too uh, contentious. I want to get to the but heart. But I don't know for sure. I want to get to the heart of man cow. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's a good heart under like, all that. Let's say, let's, I'm saying, like, I don't know his life. I don't know any, much about him. I'm not trying to do hashtag cancel sure. man cow. I just want, I really want to make that clear because I, I, it's not like my thing to do that. Hey, you know what? I'll tell you uh, something. Guys, we love everybody, man guys, cow. It's about something. bringing people together. It's all about love. No, no. You're we'll right, be, we'll come back. <laughs> We want to do some IDs after the show. And, 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 and do you want to hear? Oh, the, sure do, oh do. They, they love that. And do you want to hear the worst part? What? Here's the part that should really make you sick. I'm a fan. <laughs> <laughs> your music speaks to me. Well, that's cool. In your soul. So I just want you to know, as pissed huh. off as you get at me, your music touches me. No, 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 no. We your like, music touches we like me. The people who like you're what writing we do. for me. You're writing for a complete idiot. You're our core audience. <laughs> That's right. Your house. You are the Your houses, giants, were the built by is, idiots. The song is a special long distance dedication to a special man How in Chicago. That? How about that? Who's Think about a it. Tiny tear. Your car. Your new car. Your glasses. Your glasses, sir. Your glasses. This goes sir. out to a little boy in bought Chicago by me. who's crying a tiny tear of pain. I His bought your glasses. I bought those glasses. No matter how much you hate me, I bought every CD. I even bought that big box set thing you had out two years ago. Cool. Okay? So we, as much as you hate me, I'm the, I'm the one sitting there on the toilet out, trying to decipher your music. Snap out of and it. I've <laughs> never seen a black eye at your audience. This I know is, it offended this is you. Like, this is like an intervention. It's cool, man. All it's right. cool. Okay. It's going right. to take a little while to come down. I do think it's funny to hear the song... Uh, laid out like that. So I really was excited to devote a segment to that. I want to, I apologize if anyone found that really uh, hard to listen to, but uh, yeah, well, Dave, Dave left, Dave stormed out. (laughs) I was very offended. Yeah.
Look, I do think it's interesting to traverse the waters of uh, discomfort because I think that's where we grow and learn, people. I agree completely, actually. And I've learned a lot about Jordan right now. <laughs> <laughs> I am a card-carrying... Um, so let's let's keep talking about the song and and, and race. Uh, one thing I didn't know in terms of the was that racism was bad. The song really taught me. Um, <laughs> no, okay. So there's a few lyrics I wanted to talk about. It was the loveliest party that I've ever attended. If anything was broken, I'm sure it could be mended. My head can't tolerate this bobbing and pretending. Listen to some bullets. This is So one thing I didn't know, uh, did you know this, what bullet head is? Oh, you know, I was looking at that today. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't bother looking it up. I mean, I just assume did it's... Google issue you a, yeah. a yeah. notice <laughs> for looking up bad things? Yeah. Well, if they haven't yet. <laughs> um, That's true. <laughs> this guy's a sick fuck. Yeah. Uh, I just assumed it was somebody that was very thick headed. Yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was a, a now, uh, or a, I thought it was it meant like a loudmouth. But bullethead is actually really a racial. It's about like a sh- skinhead. Oh, which is har- kind of harsher than I, I thought was going on in the song. Yeah, what is bullethead? I'm going to ca- clarify this. Now, if somebody called me a bullet billhead, I'd be honored. I was bullet bill yesterday in Mario Odyssey. Oh, I think you meant in your life. No, in Mario Odyssey, in the one of the last levels, you become a giant well, there you go. bullet bill and smash through all the walls and stuff. It's probably fun. See, this is what me and Dave prefer to talk about rather than yeah. political hot topics. Well, I've been in- uncomfortable now for two hours, yeah. so. Um, that's because I put a bunch of <laughs> things on your seat going up your butt. So Bullethead is a boorish youth with a skinhead hmm. or crew cut whose sole interests in life are violent activities, such as cage fighting, football hooliganism, Different kind of skinhead, though. We should also point that out. Yeah, well, it, it, educate me, because this, this is stuff that I do not look into out of well, being depressed yeah. by it. No, it's, it's confusing, because skinhead used to, it used to not be related to Nazism. Just a general... Just a general, like, brawler. Yeah, like a brawler kind. Okay, okay. But... I guess we we can agree that it's a loaded phrase to say bullet head. It's a negative It's almost like a slur that Flansburg's using. Back... Reverse... Reverse racism, dude. Yeah. I wanted to talk about the bridge. Let's let's just have fun with this fun bridge. And those double kicks. Yeah, I was hoping you'd, you'd, you'd have say something about that. Yeah, the kick drums are ins- <laughs> the kick drums are uh, crazy bananas, wacky, yeah. Cuc- wacky cuckoo. Just, yeah, that's listen, what I was listen say. carefully to those those kicks. They're totally metal. It's awesome. You'd need a double pedal for that. Yeah, I mean this this is a case where the drum programming uh, definitely comes into play. Though, as you're saying, there are people who could do that, like your your, oh, yeah. your guy. My new drummer could do that. Okay, I meant your I meant the Metallica guy, right? He oh, Lars. Stuff, yeah, he could do that probably. Do you like Lars? He's good. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he's the best drummer ever. Yeah. I've seen way better drummers. Mm. I think his strength lies in his approach to the songs. So yeah, you've got a really metal bridge here, which again, I, I think it's is meant... awesome, dude. It's sort of like we talked about before, like Flansburg shredding intense solo is meant to like i feel like it captures his like his hatred that he's feeling break out inside yeah it's like <laughs> i want to tell this i want to yell back at this guy but i can't and then you've got a the sound of a glass breaking well yeah. by the way even before that the, before the shredding solo you almost have the sound of like someone clinking on a glass like 
ding, ding, sure. ding. I mean, it, it evokes that. I'm not saying that's what it is. Um, someone's making a racist toast. So it's yeah. Someone's about to make a toast, and it's uh, offensive. Then you've got the shredding solo and the crazy kick drums, and it's like this kind of like you know, it is a very punk kind of angry. I mean, they might be giants or not. Their music isn't angry. Silently stewing. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. They're more seething. Yeah, yeah. I'd say they have like seething rage that's built up over It's hard over to years. Then you've got the sound of glass breaking, which again, it's like the party atmosphere is very much alive in, in the song. And you've got a great uh, trumpet solo from Charlie Sepulveda. I'm not sure how you pronounce it. So you've got a, an amazing trumpet solo from someone who, so he appeared in Istanbul very briefly, but I wanted to wait till here to really like give him a shout out. But I wanted to play a clip from one of like another song that he plays trumpet on, which Ooh. I found, and it's very, uh, your racist friend like, and I thought it'd be fun to listen to. So, so this is him playing trumpet in his own, uh, his own thing. Dave is dancing around. Dave loves this music. Um, so <laughs> that's yeah. like real musicians. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Um, Actually, know how to play. <laughs> I once, I, there's this, I, when I went to see the Rio Statics in, uh, in Canada, the other band that I love. Um, we were staying at this guy's frat house or something. We mentioned they might be giants to him. Uh, I forget why. Maybe I had a shirt on or something. It's because it's the only thing you talk about. <laughs> That's why you mentioned it. Oh. <laughs> Did you forget that? <laughs> but the, the guy said, oh, yeah, yeah, real statics are like, they might be giants, but with real music. Ooh. <laughs> but no, what's funny is me, me and Matt, we've laughed so much. We're like, That's so true. <laughs> Oh, I can. If you want me to explain, I can. It's not meant to insult. They might be giants, but there's a certain calculated uh, uptightness to they might be giants because they're artsy dudes. And Rio Statics are like more like they'll like fucking cry on stage because they're playing hmm. like this solo that's so meaningful. You know what I mean? It's there's a little more like passion in the in the way I their shows go. You didn't mean music. The songs will go on for a long time. They'll be it'll change on stage drastically every night. It's. Yeah, it's not. I don't mean technical That's, musicianship. Okay. I mean more about in the emotional quality of the music. I don't think emotion makes a real musician. I'm offended. I by hope that. that doesn't. I feel like this is going to offend people. Well, wait till you hear the Particle Man segment. <laughs> oh, he's really racist. It's about the Third Reich. No. <laughs> so, um, so he's that guy, the trumpet player, Charlie Sepulveda or Veda. I feel bad not pronouncing his name maybe right because he's his name is spelled wrong in the flood liner notes. But he did a the that is a, a highlight of racist friend and uh, I think it's awesome. So want to talk about that? It's a talented guy. Yeah, they are very good at mining incredible talent for yeah. their albums. I've I've discovered a lot of things, especially yeah. doing this show. I've discovered a lot of like I was watching his trumpet playing for a whole day. I was looking for a mm. good clip, <laughs> and uh, I was like, he's amazing. Oh, so the other thing I want to talk about the bridge. There's this like ethereal, beautiful sound that comes in halfway through. <laughs> 
it's almost like very like under the sea, <laughs> like little mermaidy kind of like, and you've got all the little percussion bouncing around. I could see this happening under the sea. But I, I little you, crabs you dancing. think that you think the racist friend was talking about like land dwellers or whatever? Yeah. Oh, those landies. <laughs> <The> two legs. <laughs> so it's fun to make up fake r- racist slurs. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, the most fun because it doesn't hurt anybody. You Yet. get you get the <laughs> thrill of being racist <laughs> without the, all the fuss and muss. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, but any, anyway, I was yeah. just saying, I, I, I've always, I've always thought that was kind of a singular moment in the They Might Be Giants uh, album because I don't, I don't hear that, that kind of reverby, beautiful quality under everything, and I also think it's weird in context of this song. Uh, but I, I always, the racist friend bridge, well, I'd say, is one of my favorite things in yeah, they've done. That's a standout for sure. Yeah. I, it's almost like a relief from the uh, <laughs> yeah, racism. That's true. And, uh, the discomfort of the party. Out from the kitchen to the bedroom. I've noticed a lot of memes about can't shake the devil's hand and say mm. you're only since the election. Uh, mm. <laughs> I've seen a lot of that, and I've I've always liked this lyric a lot. I have to say I like things less when things get popular and talked about too much. <laughs> so the the lyric for me doesn't have that impact. I think because I guess when everyone jumps on it, I, I will say like there was this interview with with They Might Be Giants where the interviewer had, uh, was going through their career, and when they got to flood, they said you're a racist friend. That's your first serious song, no? And, you know, they don't acknowledge the absurdity of that question, but I guess a question like that is what makes, what kind of uh, makes me lukewarm about your racist friend, because I'm like, just because it, it, it mentions a, a serious thing, like their other songs are serious. Yeah, like the other serious. songs on the album are serious. The other songs in their first I'll album are serious. Is serious. Yeah, crying out loud. That's right. Um, so that that's an annoying question. So I I will say though, what, what I find interesting is the, the whole verse because he's apparently this this racist friend is following Flansburg around and apologizing and saying he just got drunk. And I'm like, well, how bad a guy? <laughs> he's he's saying he's sorry. Like he's not just like you know what I mean. No, I, Do you ever think of it that way? I feel a little bit bad for him at the end. He seems because if he's following you around, being like, dude, so sorry, but he might still be a jerk and he probably is a jerk, but like, at least he's apologizing. That's more than nothing. Well, I'll put it this way. You know, if you're drinking and you say something stupid, which I'm sure I've been, Dave, you've never done that privy. Well, I mean, I've said it sober too. I, when Dave's drunk, he's just very funny. I'll, I'll Thank say that. You. I'm jovial. <laughs> Doesn't happen often, but cause I'm so and louder. Man- manly. There's a volume that, that changes, <laughs> but besides that, it's, it's pretty fun, but no, how to, how messed up, I've ever gotten, I would probably never do something out of character for myself. Yeah. You know what I mean? We've talked about this a lot because I think me and Dave have known people who've, who've gotten drunk and, and been like you very see, unlikable. Well, you see the real people. Drinking can't yep. make you a different person Yeah, is my belief. It only amplifies what's already there. I remember when we talked about this, it's when the yeah. Mel Gibson thing happened and he said he was drunk. Right. And I'm like, well, I'm like, well, how did that even get in his head? (laughs) Like all the times I've been super drunk. I've never been like, and now my racist rant, (laughs) you know, just it's there's no space in my brain for that. 
People might be surprised. I've only been drunk like twice in my life. Yeah. Because uh, I don't drink. I, I just find the taste of, of all alcoholic drinks to be horrifying. I don't think the taste is great, but the effects are wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> the one time I was, I vividly remember this. The one time I got drunk, and I think it was at one of your shows, Dave. Hell yeah. We always have a good time. I was went on the floor and I was <laughs> hugging the legs of everyone. Like I was like, I a, like that. I was like a baby. So I was on the floor and I was, it was Dave's guitarist and I was like hugging his legs and being <laughs> like, you know, I don't remember what I was saying. It was probably just something about like, I'm just so happy you're here or whatever. Yeah. So it's like, that's the real me. <laughs> yeah. I think the, it, so, but I, I mean that seriously, like the, the, the uninhibited me would be more comfortable with physical affection, right? That, you, yeah. you know, yeah, would same, be more probably. open about how much he it likes the people around him. I'm not trying to, it sounds like I'm patting myself on the back for how great a person I am. It's drunk. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, You're the best drunk. Whereas the non, uh, unin, or no, the non uninhibited me, which is 99.9% of my life is uh doesn't touch people and is quiet uh in in many social situations not all the time sometimes i talk a lot i think we need to hug right now <laughs> okay <laughs> that was the sound of us hugging my creaking bones the mic was in between our tummies tummies <laughs> so anyway i guess my point is uh i do think you're supposed to come away with from the song that this this guy sucks but I, at least he apologized. Sure. And not only, it seems like he profusely apologized because yeah. he's following him from the kitchen to the bedroom to the hallway. And what I like about that is I kind of get this, the idea of he's going from the kitchen where he was hanging out. He's going to the bedroom to get his coat back because as we everyone Rhyme. puts their coats on the in the bedroom, <laughs> right? Where, I guess, yeah. No, I feel like it's very common. Why else would you go into a bedroom at a party? It's usually kind of clo closed <laughs> off. Well, I don't think it's his house. Take a nap doesn't matter. And then he's going to the hallway because he got his coat and he's leaving. Trying to leave, yeah. I like sure. those little... So, uh, we'll talk a lot about... I like that imagery. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into this with twisting, but I, Flansburg can be really great at... Oh, we're not going to get to twisting. <laughs> That's right. Uh, That's another four episodes. Yeah. Um, Flansburg is really great with slice of life uh, imagery. Yes. And I, I, I always liked that part of the lyrics. Um, your friend apologizes. He could see it my way. I mean, if he's saying, I see it your way, I'm sorry. To me, I'd be Maybe like... Maybe that race isn't bad. <laughs> I guess my point is if someone actually said that to me, I, I, I might not want to speak to them ever again, but at least I'd be like, well, that's most people don't apologize for anything ever. I mean, especially right. now, like if you ever, sure. you ever go on Twitter, Dave, um, I try not you could to. literally say a, a thing that's factually wrong. Someone could tweet at you like, oh, that's completely wrong. And, and you people still hold their ground, you know, like it's very, so I guess this is like maybe a timely thing, but. It, I really do try to see other points of view the older I get. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I was extremely stubborn. Same here. As stubborn as I am now is probably a lot worse when I was younger. I try to be a little more pragmatic these days and try to see where people are coming from. I think that's all we got, folks. Yeah. So so that's Your Racist Friend. Um, it's an interesting song. I know they, they've been doing it a lot live lately because it's taken on new <laughs> meaning. Yeah. I'm always glad when everyone loves that They Might Be Giant song. Uh, in generally, I, I guess it's not my favorite thing that, that it's like this kind of love because it's like a, this defiant political stance, which sure. I guess it's like when I'm at a They Might Be Giant show, it's kind of the last thing I want to think about. But you know, I they are pretty vocal about their their political views, which in well, my eyes are often not even very political. They're more just like humanistic, like human kind of views. Yeah, you like know? common sense. Yeah, um, and I I'm glad that they are, and I think they're 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 good they're good boys. <laughs> and so are we. So let's move on to their most political song, I'd say, and I'm only half kidding. Uh, Particle Man. Particle Man. Particle Man. 
Doing the things a particle can What's he like? It's not important Particle man Is he a dot or is he a speck? When he's underwater does he get wet? Or does the water get him instead? Nobody knows Particle man uh, Okay, Particle man Particle man Doing the things <laughs> so a particle can. Dave. This is NPR. <laughs> Let's tackle this gorilla of a yeah. song. Um, particle Man is uh, probably, I would think, their most well-known song. Over Istanbul. Tied, at least. Okay, let's. How about this? Particle Man is their most well-known original song. <laughs> yeah. So, boom, I win. No you, one can argue win. with me. Yeah, and that's a big deal to talk about. Uh, and it, I feel like this will be a little bit similar to our Istanbul uh, segment <laughs> because there's there's pros and cons when when a band has a, a song that everyone knows. Mm-hmm. And it, I guess depending on the song, but even even the best songs in the world, uh, you run into weird issues when when it becomes sure. Huge as thing. we've said, you can only listen to something so many times. Yeah, <laughs> like this podcast. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's why I, I, we're that's so infrequent. Yeah. So I don't want to anno- annoy people. <laughs> that's the reason. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Dave, let's start with you because i have so much shit here about this song and i just give, give me a clean give me a clean slate when i say particle man to you what what, what comes to mind it's hard to say what you think about a song that you've heard You're so too many used. times it's like saying what do you think about a piece of chocolate yeah it's like it's chocolate yeah it's it's always existed you know <laughs> <laughs> particle man has existed from the beginning of time uh i mean i like that it's a song about beating people up <laughs> yeah that's fun <laughs> Well, yeah, so there's a lot lyrically to, to talk about, and there's a lot to talk about about how people talk about the lyrics with Particle Man. Whoa. Because uh, Particle Man... You is, lost me. Particle Man is is sort of known as... I, I feel like it's their most interpreted song where people want to crack the code. And, you know, there's there's a segment in Gigantic about this very thing. Like, they, Gigantic could have done a, a, a lot of songs where to talk about what they mean, but they they have a special thing about Particle Man and... And Linnell says this line, like, nothing is missing in your interpretation of Particle Man. Like, it's all in the lyrics. Mm. So Linnell's stress about the... He, uh, Linnell stresses... <laughs> Linnell's stress... There's a slip. <laughs> Freudian slip. What Linnell is stressing about this song is that I think he's trying to say it's not a metaphor. It's what you're seeing. Uh, I feel like there's so much to unpack about that because it also ties in with just so, the way Linnell writes songs. <laughs> when he says, this is what my song's about, and there's no um, analogy or metaphor... I don't, it's not that I don't believe him, but I also think like, like we've talked about, like everything has, when you're making a piece of art, (laughs) there's layers to it, even if you're not intending it or you're not trying to call attention to it. I think to him, (laughs) it doesn't have any hidden meaning, but his brain works very differently than other people's brains. Yeah, yeah. So something that's straightforward to him would probably be very convoluted to the average person. That's a good, that's good. That's very true about about the way he writes uh, songs. People are trying to figure out what level our songs are working at. And since we have a a wide variety of songs, some which are really like elliptical and and dense and, and pretty hard to interpret, except for like the mood that they're putting out. And then there are other songs that are really lighthearted and it's impossible to even see them having like any dimension to them beyond like the very linear lyric that is in the song. I think the fact that there's is all this difference within the the variety of songs that we're making is like very is leaves a lot of people in the dust. Yeah. You know? I've noticed that about other artists that I like is that it's often impossible to tell which songs 
are the complicated ones and which ones are, are ones that they consider stupid ones or, you know, simple ones. And, you know, I, I suddenly I feel complete sympathy with the people in our audience who are, like, busily, completely over-interpreting some song like, um, I can't even think of a good example, but like, like a particular... Part- Particle Man seems like a song that is like... Is like it's, pretty total- on the, it's pretty on the surface, you know, and people really... They really want to know what the secret message behind Particle Man is, you know, and there just isn't one, you know. It's, it's, it's what it is. So there's a lot of reference points in this song, and I also, of course, want to talk about them musically and the production and all that. I think we should start with, uh, Linnell has said it's a play on the Spider-Man theme, mm-hmm. which is funny because out of all my notes for this, I totally disregarded that until the Dave like was at the door. <laughs> right. I was like, oh shit, the Spider-Man theme. Spider-Man. See, I, yeah, I read the Spider-Man thing, but I also see a lot of Popeye. Yeah. Oh, t- tell me about Popeye that. Popeye the Sailor Man lives in a. Oh, holy shit! Well, what what I had in my notes was there's a play on the Popeye the Sailor Man. Um, Where are your notes, by the way? In in the in the old brain box. Okay, <laughs> it's like a Dave's not holding. <laughs> yeah, any. yeah. I memorized them. He tattooed them. But you know, it was like a playground uh, limerick ah, that had different lyrics in the okay. in the. Popeye the Sailor Man. children singing Popeye the Sailor Man. And this I did look up because there's variations on it. So like when I... (laughs) Is this what you feel like? Yeah. (laughs) I'm just sort of sitting here staring at Dave like, (laughs) what? Yeah. For example, when I went to school, the one I remember is I'm Popeye the Sailor Man. I live in a garbage can. I'm Popeye the Sailor Man. I live in a frying pan. I turned on the gas. I burned off my ass. I'm Popeye the Sailor Man. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember when I was a little little kid, I loved all that stuff. It's kind of like the Batman uh, jingle bells, Batman smells. And it is interesting, the live in a garbage can thing is right out of Particle Man. Right. What we're going to learn is Particle Man, maybe more than, and, than even some fans realize, is a m- crazy mishmash of a million reference points. Spider-Man, the 60s theme, is one of them, of course. And I will just say, I, I found a quote of Linnell conceding that saying, and this is from an old interview, he says... There was one very obvious source, the theme for the cartoon version of Spider-Man, which was on TV when we were kids. There's this kind of idea of introducing a bunch of characters that are all just ideas with the noun man at the end of them. Right. You just take a word and add man to the end, and that was the impulse. So right. that's so we've got the impulse. <laughs> but it is weird because yeah. the Spider-Man theme sounds like the Popeye theme also, yeah. <laughs> like which was earlier. It was man fever. <laughs> right. And it's the Sailor Man. So like this, the Popeye one is, I'm Popeye the Sailor Man, I'm Popeye the Sailor Man. And the Spider-Man one is Spider-Man, Spider-Man. I mm-hmm. mean, it's like, it's kissing cousins. You know what I'm it's, saying? It's like a genre. It's a genre into Jingle on, genre. on itself. Particle Man is the trilogy of, yeah. so there's that, which I think is interesting. And I, and I do think that the schoolyard yes. feel is intentional. That's um, the impetus. But I do think, and we're going to talk about this with the Tiny Tunes thing, I do think the idea that that makes it a ch- schoolyard or children's song is maybe a source of frustration yeah. for them and for, for some fans. Though I'm not going to deny that, you know, kids, why wouldn't kids love the song Particle Man? I mean, it's crazy. Right. It's crazy to act 
you know, hipster about the song Particle Man. I it think, is a fun, silly song. I think that's maybe where it started. And Linnell possibly thought it was funny mm. to carry on those themes into adulthood of like taunting and yes, and it, um, beating people up. There's and, like an epic scope to the song. Yeah. Um. So I want to talk about that. I wanted to. Yeah, you know, I like the song a lot now. <laughs> my goal for this episode, you know, it's funny. Uh, I, I've been thinking about Particle Man since we started the show. You know, I, I really do think just like dive into it head first and, yeah. and try to appreciate the Crack song. Crack our skulls open. So like I appreciate Istanbul more after our episode, you know, not for to, sure. not yeah. trying to pat myself on the back, but I, I think, you know, I, I feel like I know the song intimately now. We're going to get intimate with Particle Man. Snuggle up. So the other reference point is, um, so Linnell, so this is, this is kind of crazy. Linnell has said that Triangle Man was inspired by a yeah. friend of his <laughs> talking about a shirtless Robert Mitchum from Night of the Hunter. Yes, which we watched together. Me and Dave watched Night of the Hunter together. Um, but here's the thing, Dave. I'm going to blow your mind. Robert Mitchum is not shirtless in Night of the Hunter. Oh, shit. Robert Mitchum Mandela is, effect. <laughs> exactly. Robert Mitchum is shirtless in Cape Fear, which I watched two weeks ago. Oh, uh, I've never seen the original. Yeah, so, so here's... We're going to unravel this, but so... Uh, you threw that book little yeah, across the room. I threw, yeah. Jeez. I wish Calm this was, down. Sometimes I wish this was video. Yeah. I threw the flood uh, booklet at Dave when I said that. So shocking. Night of the Hunter is, is a really important uh, movie in terms of They Might Be Giants lore mm -hmm. because they have used imagery from Night of the Hunter. They've uh, Flansburg's Monopuff. <laughs> Thank you, Dave. Pretty Fly. Co covered Pretty Fly, which is a song from Night of the Hunter, a really haunting moment. In which the movie. I thought was a joke about the Offspring song, Pretty Fly. Yeah. I didn't realize it was a cover <laughs> that's right i thought there was just a joke about making it an actual fly no yeah not well i think night of the hunter that scene she's in the boat and she's like and all the <laughs> so night of the hunter i gotta get his knuckle tattoos so it, it makes sense that linnell or at least linnell's friend <laughs> was, yeah. would misremember it john flansburg <laughs> would misremember it as being about robert mitchum shirtless in night of the hunter because in night of the hunter robert mitchum plays a real creep a real creepy yeah. weirdo Hey, Get you? up. Now go look at yourself yonder in that mirror. Do as I say. Look at yourself. What do you see, girl? You see the body of a woman, the temple of creation and motherhood. You see the flesh of Eve that man since Adam has profaned. That body was meant for begetting children. It was not meant for the lust of men. All right, you can get in bed now. Stop shivering. In Night of the Hunter, there, and I feel like this might have even inspired uh, the lyrics to Particle Man, but he talks about hate fighting love, like as concepts. yeah, I, I remember that. And this is a this is that's a, the knuckle tattoos. Yeah, so this is a really Particle Man like yeah. uh, speech. So I'll play this for you. This is from Night of the Hunter, and uh, I just want to say Night of the Hunter, directed by Charles Lawton, and I think it's his only movie, which is crazy because it's so damn good. I, anyone listening, director should, should Charles see, Lawton should see Night of the Hunter. Night of the Hunter, starring Robert Mitchum. But oh, for context, before I play the clip, the, the movie is about Robert Mitchum is a re super religious creepy guy who who marries uh, a woman and and basically terrorizes her children yes uh his stepchildren or whatever it's called night of the hunter because it's about them trying to escape and he's like following them and it's really uh really scary and fun and great movie that i, I really loved so here, here's a clip that to me evokes particle man in an interesting way let's listen would you like me to tell you the little story of right hand left hand 
The story of good and evil. H-A-T-E. It was with this left hand that old brother Cain struck the blow that laid his brother low. L-O-V-E. You see, these fingers, dear hearts, these fingers has veins that run straight to the soul of man. The right hand, friends, the hand of love. Now watch and I'll show you the story of life. These fingers, dear hearts, is always a warring and a tugging, one against the other. Now watch him. Old brother left hand. Left hand hates a fighting. And it looks like love's a goner. But wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hot dog loves a winning. Yes, sirree. It's love that won. And old left hand hate is down for the count. I never heard it better told. That's very like Triangle Man right. got defeated by Love Man or whatever. Mm-hmm. Hate Man, Love Man fought Hate Man. You know, I've been saying that for years, that love is the answer. Yeah. No one listens. Now we've got to talk about Cape Fear because Robert Mitchum is shirtless a lot in Cape Fear. Nice. Like constantly, including like the entire last 20 minutes. Um, now me and Dave, we actually together watched the Scorsese Cape Fear yes. from the 90s. De Niro's pretty shirtless in that too. Yeah, yeah, he is. But he doesn't look like a triangle. No, so the he I- looks like a square. Yeah. The idea is that Robert Mitchum, and, and I will post on our Twitter some stills that I took. Oh boy, folks. Um, he really does look like an evil triangle with his shirt off. He's got a body type that kind of just goes down starts wide and goes down. Like I think an that's a good shape triangle. to be, though. Yeah, yeah, good shape. I'm a little of a triangle. You know, and he's like, I'm getting in shape. You're like a rectangle. What he, mean, what he means is he's turning into a triangle. Yeah. So Kate Fear is about Robert Mitchum. Surprise is a creep who um, he's terrorizing, again, this family who, you know, kind of had to do with him getting sent to prison. I don't want to tell you all the details, but he plays like a real bad guy. Right. and. Here's a scene where he takes his shirt off uh, because he's being interrogated, a strip search. He's being interrogated, and I'll I'll play you And he's like, behold, my triangle. Well, well, well. We seem to be seeing quite a bit of each other today. Let's strip down these shorts, Katie. Right. I suppose you thought I was going to object to a strip search, didn't you, Chief? No siree, not me. Like I said, I'm a cooperative guy. Yeah, you better check that shirt. I got a couple of jolts of horse stashed under the collar. That's Mick with the pants. Coming up. Coming up. How much money have you got? Well, here's my wallet. Why don't you check for yourself, Chief? Seven dollars. Do you think that seven dollars is like uh, when we want to rock? <laughs> you think it's also a reference to the same thing? I thought that was weird. But look, and, and so the whole end of the movie is on, you know, along the river, this like river fight that he has. So he, he has his shirt off for so much of the end of the movie. Um, I think it was in his contract. I'm an evil triangle, brother. <laughs> so that's one reference point is that I'm pretty sure it's it's like, well, it's one, it's a misremembered uh Cape Fear turning into Night of the Hunter reference. But I think the idea, at least, is that this evil triangle inspired by these two versions of the same sort of, sort of similar character, though I guess in Night of the Hunter he's more ultra-religious, in, mm-hmm. and in uh, Cape Fear it's he's not at all. He's just a pervert creep. Well, religious fanaticism is always a good starting point for a, <laughs> for a villain. <laughs> yeah. Before I get more into the lyrics, I, we should talk about the music. One of the reasons I think this song seems like kind of comical or childlike is like the, it's the the tuba ish, mm-hmm. uh, like the yeah. the oompa rhythm, and it's like it's hard to pull that off without seeming kind of silly. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, like later live versions, of course, are a little more like it's like a rock band arrangement, and there's I think every it's a little more free form. But yeah, the song itself sounds <laughs> not um, sort of like number three. 
Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's it's not um, it's not cool sounding. I guess you could say, right? Um, like like twisting might be, you know, coming up, song. which we'll talk about. Yeah, this song has real drums on it. Like it's the the drummer Alan Bazozzi <laughs> is credited, mm. uh, and you know it has the song is like really elaborate percussion, which I really like. So yeah, you've got the like the hi hat and on the the backbeat or the clapping is on the backbeat and it's and they they started doing this thing live where they're like telling the audience to clap on the backbeat and being like really emphasizing that like don't the, do the it on the beat? front beat yeah I don't see I don't want any emails I call it the downbeat well Dave's a downbeat kind of guy that's why I like it. I think that's a, f- a funny intro to, <laughs> to the song. That's hard to do. It goes against your every instinct. So the, the whole song sounds like very fun and it is very like danceable and, and in, I, there is something infectious about it, which I think is partly why it got so huge, not just the lyrics, you mm-hmm. know? Oh, I, I always thought that the acoustic guitar in the song sounded like really nice. It comes in and like certain verses, you know what I'm talking about? It almost kind of sounds like a 12 yes. string. Triangle man, triangle man. Sounds very tinny. Yeah, it sounds tinny and like doubled or something. Um, I love the production of the song. The little accordion hits. They're like, Nip. accordions have this weird thing about the way you can play it, which is it almost sounds like a reversed instrument because you can go like, Nip. yeah, you know what I mean. You're letting the air out. So something we should talk about, which they talk about a lot, is just the the interpreting of the song. We really need to get into this. Do they? They don't like it. They seem to... So they wouldn't like this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, well, here's the thing. I don't... Oh God, it's, it's, it's hard to say. It's like there's... I think they might be giants. I think John and John think there's like a right way to interpret and a maybe a wrong way or maybe a misguided way to interpret a song, right? I'm aware that you guys have your own like... There's a, there's a Usenet group on the internet that's devoted to just discussions of the music of They Might Be Giants. And I, I would imagine you must get a lot of um, interesting feedback from uh, people who buy your records or who write to you or to come to you at shows about their sort of interpretations about what your songs are about being that they're so kind of lyrically not straightforward well yeah i mean you get you know certain people who have like you know built theories of you know how a song you know parallels the holy trinity and stuff like that i mean it's kind of there's a little uh you know uh acid dream quality to, to some people right. to take on stuff. Right. But, you know, I think, I think for most people, they kind of get what it's about on a pretty crystal level. You know, there's not... Our songs are probably more straightforward than, you know, have, have been reported. Have you guys ever seen any of the, you know, the transcripts of the discussions that go on? Yeah, yeah. We, we, um, so many shows, the, I think the one you're talking about, about Particle Man, where they said it, right. was, it was had to do with the Holy Trinity and stuff like that. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's really entertaining reading. I mean, it's so <laughs> weird. Um... But uh, Particle Man really doesn't have any explanation beyond what's in the song, you know. Right. That's a, that's a really, it's, it's just what it is. It's not that I'm, I want to contradict what, the, what they say in an interview, but I feel like people 
I feel like everyone's kind of on different pages about what words even mean. So saying like particle man is what it is on the surface, what I feel like he's he means is that particle man isn't a stand in for like, I don't know, let's say like Abraham Lincoln or something. You know what I mean? Mm. Like it's not a it's not a symbol of a some of a specific thing. Hearing that, it makes me think that, you know, you're so, what lyrically tend to be like open to a lot of sort of maybe unusual interpretations. Well, yeah, that's true that they, that they are, I think. But um, as John says, we, you know, we don't really write hidden meanings into our songs. They're, they're, very, they're very explicit, actually. Well, I mean, I think it's cool that people get into these really uh, arcane uh, interpretations, you know. I think that's, that's fine. Um, but... Uh, we don't want people to feel like they're being left out or anything because we're not really into the inside reference or anything. We, we pretty much give you what there is. And like some, you know, works of fiction where they, where they don't tell you what happens after the story ends, it's the same with our songs. There isn't some missing thing that you're not getting. It's all there. But I do think it'd be crazy to act like the song isn't saying some sort of like a conceit about something the way the way life works and in a way it's not like you you read the lyrics and and then you press on the brakes and you're like okay i'm good like i feel like it begs to be thought about right or be or even to even in a comical way it begs to to make you laugh and think about what he's saying and not only that but there's such a blatant metaphorical quality to Mm -hmm. what the, the man's in the song right the men how could you like pretend that so, so like to say person man and then universe man it's like mm-hmm. i feel like you'd have to be silly to not be like oh he's talking about people oh he's talking about maybe like the universe or god or something mm-hmm. do, you, do you get what i'm saying well, then where does triangle fit into that <laughs> and triangle man is sort of just this unknowable um evil force mm-hmm. that and by the way again like this is in the song this is the lyrics yeah um i'm not trying to say this is a code a secret message in the song triangle man is this like unknowable evil thing that just constantly keeps defeating mm. fighting and winning they have a fight triangle wins you know maybe he's stronger maybe he's cheating you, you don't know mm-hmm. i mean we we tied the song a few episodes back to like kiss me son of god it's, it's sort of about like i know i swear i know there's a quote when linnell said that particle man is about bullies but i could not find it <laughs> for the show well, i remember I, you telling me that yeah i know he said ago. that once i just have no idea where i read that or heard that but i believe me i looked and it was driving kind of crazy you. Um, so the idea that Particle Man is about bullies and that the 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 notion of bull- so here but so right there he said or I, I think he said <laughs> Particle Man is about bullies would that not betray his notion that Particle Man is what it is on the surface and there's no metaphor there if you're saying it's about bullies but the lyric isn't Triangle Man's a bully it's about how bullies mm-hmm. pick on you in real life so do you get what I'm trying to say like it's a little confusing to to navigate the these lyrics and, and what Linnell says you should and shouldn't be thinking about them. Now, Triangle Man, that's an example of that kind of song where there wasn't, there wasn't a, a really specific 
hidden meaning. It's, it, you can't say it enough times, though. It, 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 it's a what you hear is what you get song. There's nothing else in my mind that the song uh, uh, Particle Man is about. It's just, it's just uh, an impression you get from that particular set of lyrics. And, you know, that's, I think that's what's nice about it. In a way. It, doesn't, it doesn't need annotation. You know? Well, it sort of reminded me of our talk about Birdhouse because there's like what the song is it's, about. Yeah, it's a nightlight. Why did you pick that for the song? Yeah, exactly, exactly. The why. So for me, like the why of Particle Man is that Linnell is the is, why of Particle Man is, is comically taking the on Jordan Cooper the, story. the forces of. So there's this David Lynch uh, screenplay that he never made into a film, though they referenced it in Twin Peaks season three, called Ronnie Rocket or the Absurd Mystery of the Strange Forces of Existence. I feel like that's what Particle Man's about. Mm. Like, and and again, I feel like that's what Particle Man's about on the surface. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not secretly about that. It's telling you, hey, these are all these things surrounding us in life that that happen. But then, like, you really do, you almost cross that line of where Linnell doesn't doesn't want you to go. Of like, no, it's like it's so hard to to know how to how to <laughs> talk about the song, especially when they yeah. pinpointed it specifically as a song fans misinterpret. Hmm. But I think when they say they misinterpret it, what they're referring to is that it's not that these things are, are stand-ins for an unnamed thing you're not being told. Mm-hmm. Does that, <laughs> it's all work. I'm just letting it sink in. Yeah. Um, I'm absorbing it. I mean, I guess the thing is, is like for any songwriter, any writer, the idea of like sparking people's imagination is always kind of an exciting one, you know, or something. I mean, that is probably, you know, one of our goals. I mean, it's, it's nice to think that people, it, it makes people curious and think about it. I mean, it's better than, you know, writing a song that's just like, you know, whatever, <laughs> baby, baby, tonight. Um, at the same time, you know, there is, I, I don't know, remember when I was in college, there was this guy I worked on the newspaper with who was really, he was like the, the only other guy at the school who liked Elvis Costello, but he had all these like totally kooky theories about what the songs meant, and it just seemed like, it just seemed like too hard, you know, it's just, I know, just dig the song. I also want to give some credit where credit's due. Uh, some, of, some of what I'm saying is inspired by a, a email that uh, our friend and listener Chris Stangle sent me about Particle Man. His point was that like, the the mans in the song are are who they what they are like they're they're actual things mm-hmm. like you're supposed to think of the song as like they're actual things but at the same time it's implied that you're supposed to think of these things also as as ideas that reflect life like the nightlight in right. birdhouse reflects the feelings we have uh, about wanting to protect our loved ones you know yeah. but it's not like saying there's no actual nightlight it's just a metaphor you know what i mean so he's not saying there's no actual there's no actual particle man. It's just a metaphor. He's like, no, there is a particle man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's like kind of having it both ways or neither way. Do you know? What I mean? So, oh man. Woo. I think we can all agree on that. If you want to indulge us, uh, let, let's go through the lyrics and just see what what happens. And again, I, I do want to. Yeah. So some of this is inspired by the email I got, and some of this is just obviously thoughts I've had for years about the song. Twenty years. But the idea that particle man is, is funny because the song is named after him, but he's the lyrics are telling you he's not important and like, right. just don't worry about him. Mm. <laughs> like, what's he like? It's not important. And then the idea is that, you know, particle, you don't think about particles, right? Like, well, that's unless you're a scientist. Yeah. Sorry. I didn't mean How to dare uh, you. I didn't mean to deny your truth. From the minute I wake up to the moment that I hit well, the pillow. It's, well, it's like dust mites. So I'm allergic to dust mites. If oh, tell I, me more about that. If I went around thinking about the little microscopic spiders eating my dead skin on my face, uh, I would lose my mind. 
I think about that. Yeah. So like literally I talked about my, to my allergist about this. She was like, yeah, there, there's spiders on your face. You can't think about this shit or you'll go fucking crazy. I think it makes life better. So I, I feel like the particle man verse is, is almost reflecting, <laughs> yeah. re reflecting that. Is he a dot? Yeah. Is he a speck? So, well, Dave, I wanted to know, did you have a thought about what the difference is between a dot and a speck? You know, Jordan, I did. No, I never had I, Don't you? Do you think like a speck is kind of like a, a more like a tussled up dot? Mm. Yeah, specks from the wrong side of the street of dot town. <laughs> okay, Ra racist friend alert. <laughs> no, uh, it, like, a, like a speck is a dot that's like had kind of a rough time, you know? Oh, poor speck. A speck is more diminutive, I think. I mean, being a dot's bad. If you're right, but if you're a speck, that's worse. So it's like in a, like a mafia movie, be like, yeah. "You're nothing but a speck on my collar." That I, exactly. But if you're like, "You're, you're, you're know, nothing a but dot. a dot," yeah, like, a dot. <laughs> it's pretty round. Like maybe one day I'll go from a speck to a dot. Exactly. When he's underwater, does he get wet, or does the water get him instead? I really like this line because it is uh, strangely. I don't know, what, what would you call it? Philosophical, existential? It's kind of just like, I guess the idea with this line is, is that for things that are so microscopic, like a particle, mm -hmm. the laws of physics become kind of unknowable even at that, at, at that scale. I see. So it's like when something is, is underwater that's microscopic, does it even, what even happens, right? You know what I'm saying? Bro, I don't know. Yeah. I guess the, the thing is, like, with, with They Might Be Giants lyric, you know, you want to be like, why is this line here? Like, why is that one of the crucial things to know about Particle Man? It's like, does he, is he the master of his destiny? I guess the answer is no. I think so. And then Triangle Man just says, fuck Particle Man, and he, uh, he beats the shit out of him and, and wins. So I think that in itself, it's not like Triangle Man is, like, organized religion or whatever. Like, mm -hmm. Triangle Man is just the evil thing, like the Robert Mitchum creep of the world mm -hmm. <laughs> that just like hurt you. But do you think it's only a triangle just from the Robert Mitchum point of view? Like why not so, another shit? Okay, so here, here's Dave. So Dave's trying, Dave, you're like sympathizing with the people who try to interpret why things are, are chosen to mean what they mean. So it's like, so someone would be like, well, why a triangle? And it's like- It's I, a choice. I mean, you can't- it, Yeah, I think it is because of the Robert Mitchum thing. I do think a triangle as a shape, like it's pointy. It does look kind of aggressive. Like, you know, like it's not like a circle is, is not aggressive. A square is not as aggressive. Now, don't get me started on trapezoids because yeah. we're going to be here all night. I, I do think triangle is like a perfect visual for like a thing that constantly wins and, and beats you because a, a triangle is, is, I mean, look, if any triangle lovers out there, I'm, I'm not trying to imply triangles are inherently bad. I'm just saying... I feel like we're in your racist friend right now. Yeah. I'm just trying to say Maybe that. Maybe that's what the guy was rallying against. Yeah, that's right. I feel you like. You don't think about triangles? Yeah, I feel like. They're lazy. They're, they're just like, you know, they're, they're a shape that I could totally see being like a, you know, bad news. I don't know, man. I think that's a lot of projection. Universe man, universe man. Size of the entire universe man. Usually kind to smaller man. Universe man. He's got a watch with a minute hand, millennium hand, and a beyond hand. And when they beat, it's a happy land, powerful man, universe man. To me, universe man, obviously you can be like, it's God. And it's like, mm -hmm. I feel like you'd both be breaking Linnell's rule about how to interpret the song, but also not because it's like, what else? I guess the idea is like, 
Linnell has to know when when he puts these lyrics out that there there's these clear connections to like universal symbols. When someone is a, a universe man, <laughs> mm-hmm. like what it's like how could he not think what you'll think? So something about interesting about this lyric. So he's got a watch with a minute hand, millennium hand, and an eon hand. And yeah. when they meet, it's a happy land. So what what what's your take on that, Dave? Arbitrary. <laughs> I don't I know. I'm serious. I don't know. I I don't know what that means. So, Why would that be happy? So there's two directions we can go in. I, our Chris Stangle in his email said he he assumes Linnell's implying the end times. Yeah, you know, it's like kind what of I what I think of is the doomsday clock, mm-hmm. right? Uh, that imagery of like when it hits 12, it's all over. My girlfriend had an interesting theory that she thinks this might be a, another possible reference to Age of Aquarius. And, you know, which we talked about in our Lincoln episode. But so the lyrics to Age of Aquarius, and I'll play the clip. When the moon is in the seventh house and Jupiter aligns with Mars, then peace will guide the planet and love will steer the stars. So that's kind of like when the planets mm. align, it's a happy land. Yeah. So it kind of evokes that same thing too. So either either it's like world peace or it's the end times, which would give you world peace because there'd be no people. Yeah. So either way. Yeah. Or Linnell might say, no, it's literally a watch and stop looking into it. Well, if you're as big as the universe, that's what your watch would be. That's like what a Galactus's watch would look like. <laughs> Do you think this lines about Galactus? Yes. Well, it makes sense with the Spider-Man thing. Exactly. Oh my God. Are we cracking it? I cracked it. I started the ball rolling. So then a uh, person man. See, but that would be smaller. So y- <laughs> yes, it would. Good, good Dave. Um, Where's my treat? Uh, so well, you've got your Popeye thing here. Hit on mm-hmm. the head with a frying pan. Lives his life in a garbage can. So wow, this, you know, Dave, I have to say you, you were pulling your weight. I, I did not, <laughs> I did not think of the Popeye thing at all. I, that's amazing. Well, now it's both. Yeah, it's, it's frying it's, pan and garbage can, which are both versions of the of limerick. Of the Popeye lyric. And the, the thing that's funny about this this verse, Linnell has a lot of lyrics about like how he sees humanity <laughs> as a thing. Yeah, yeah. And there's even more coming up in this album, you know, we're going to get to. But the idea that person man is, is, I guess, a stand-in or a symbol for people, which again, to me, that's not a stretch. And to me, it's weird that he wouldn't think people would assume this saying like kind of his summary of the human race, you know, is he depressed? Is he a mess? Does he feel totally worthless? I love that line. Yeah. It's that section. There's something very like deeply funny. And there's also something funny about how much children love this song. And, and I remember when I was little, I loved those lyrics Mm. because I do think, I think sometimes with kids music, people think kids can't handle dark humor but i i think no, they, they i think they're they can. very uh, intuitive person man person man hit on the head with a frying pan lives his life in a garbage can person man is he depressed or is he a mess does he feel totally worthless who came up with person man degraded man person man triangle man I'm just thinking what beats everything, you know, what beats a person, what beats out a universe? What? 
No, I don't know. I'm saying I'm trying oh, to yeah, think yeah. about it. Here, well, I'll, I'll read this part of the email that uh, Chris, on first name basis, uh, sent because I think it's I think it's a good summary of all the stuff we're, I'm trying to say <laughs> about what interpreting the song means. So he's like, "What is Triangle Man?" Is a category error. It's the wrong question. Triangle Man is the man in the song who doesn't like the other man and fights them and wins. He is what he does in the lyrics. Which to me, if you want to know what that symbolically means. Well, obviously, Triangle Man is the thing that ultimately defeats the smallest organism and destroys you, the human being, or the human species, which also means Triangle Man isn't even a symbol. He is what he does. <laughs> so there's a lot to think about there. Maybe, maybe Triangle Man's bacteria. Yeah. What do you think of that, Chris Stangle? Yeah. <laughs> I love what he says about the person man line. He just says, here's the part about you or the listener or the species homo sapiens specifically. The person man passage is one of Linnell's most concise, brutal, hilarious, empathetic, and pitiless assessments of the human condition. You don't need an interpretation. You're living it right now. <laughs> Another possible reference point, And this is something my girlfriend Kristen thought of, or, or she, she brought to my attention. So there's a Samuel Beckett play called Endgame. And in the play, it's like an existential play. It's in one room. It's like about, it's about the end of the world. In this play, there's two old people in garbage cans. So this is what I'm showing Dave a picture. I don't like this one bit. (laughs) It's two old people in a garbage can and and, um, they have like like a lynch. They kind of like argue with each other. So it is supposed to be like kind of a nightmare. It's about the end of the world and these people are in an apartment. And so one of the characters is unable to stand and he's blind. Another character is a servant who's unable to sit. Uh, That's ironic. And then there's the two old people in the garbage cans and they have no legs and they live in the garbage can. And it's, you know, it's like kind of a miserable uh, experience. Lives his life in a garbage can. Um, and I'll, I'll play this clip from a movie version that was made. And I'm, the reason I'm playing this clip is because they mentioned Turkish Delight, which I thought was a nice oh, tie to Istanbul. And I love when that happens. Is Samuel Beckett good? This sounds a little stupid to me. I don't know. I think I'm he's gonna good. I'm going to shit on Samuel Beckett. Me sugar plum. There ain't no more sugar plums. Turkish Delight, for example, which no longer exists. We all know that. But there is nothing in this world I love more. And one day, I'll ask you for some. In return for a kindness. And you'll promise it to me. Um, that might be a possible reference point. Or it might be, I mean, it, it literally could be he's referencing all these things or none of these things. Could except, be Oscar the Grouch. Yeah, that's true. He lives in a garbage can. But all we know for sure is he did mention Spider-Man What was an inspiration Let's talk a little bit more about the music in the song. Uh, the the solo, the, the I guess Linnell calls it a saxophone on the video commentary for the uh, Particle Man video on their Direct from Brooklyn DVD. So he calls it a saxophone part. I guess it's like a synth saxophone going... That's just like an amazing melody. When I was learning keyboard, that was like the first thing I learned to do because it's it's perfect for actually learning a piano or keyboard because you're... you know like a finger exercise. Exercise. Yeah, Linnell's melodies are very linear in terms of it's like, you know, they're very up the scale or down the scale mm-hmm. in terms of notes. And that's like a perfect example. When I was a, a little TMBG fan and was inspired by John Linnell and wanted to be John Linnell and I bought myself an accordion and I even bought myself a second accordion, you know, because the first one was lonely. Wow. <laughs> I, the Two's par- better than one. The Particle Man riff was one of the, I feel like it's one of the first things I learned. Mm-hmm. And, and in fact, I do have a clip. This clip is about, well, I wasn't that young, but this clip is about 10 years old. It's from when I bought the little accordion and I was testing it out and I made a little YouTube video. 
uh, stretch them digits. What I love about uh, the second time that happens in the song is there's like a crazy harpsichord under it. Mm-hmm. Did you ever notice yes. that? Yeah, it's like a really... Playing a counter melody. It's like a Bachian, yeah. like crazy counterpoint to the main saxophone melody. And what's funny is like, I didn't notice it for a really long time. Like it's, it's under there in the mix, but it's really elaborate, you know? Mm. So I, I think that's like a cool thing musically in the song. Perhaps it should be louder. So this takes us to the tiny tunes uh, of it all, and we... Doesn't everything. We're tiny, we're toony, we're all a little loony, and in this cartoony, we're invading your TV. I uh, hope you guys like clips because they talked about the song a oh lot. Boy. And I, I find every time they talk about the tiny things to be very entertaining and interesting to show where their heads have been at with, with it being on Tiny Tunes. So I guess let's just give a little history. On February 1st, 1991, Tiny Tunes aired its 51st episode, which was called Tiny Tunes Music Television. It was a parody of MTV Music Television. You don't say. <laughs> Strangely, it featured two They Might Be Giant songs in a yeah. row, which is what's kind of, I think that's kind of what makes this like a kind of a bigger deal than it might have been. Ah, that was so good. Let's hear another by They Might Be Giants called Particle Man. Who are these guys? There's other songs. They have Respect by Aretha Franklin. I remember I remember these very vividly, by the way. We have Montana Max singing Money, That's What I Want, all that stuff. How'd they think of that? To, ha- to start the episode with two They Might Be Giants songs. And They Might Be Giants are not as well known as Aretha Franklin. No, they were not well known. Or that um, Money song. I know that people who worked on this episode are Paul Dini and Bruce Timm, who did my beloved show, yeah. Batman Animated Series, and I'm obsessed with, with all the, their shows they've done. Uh, Batman Beyond, yeah. Justice League Unlimited. I'm, uh, don't get me started on those because I'm a big nerd for those shows. Uh, Bruce Tim actually did say in an interview he worked on the Particle Man segment, I think, like animating or whatever or designing, how did which this, is crazy for me to connect all those dots in my life. How did this happen, though? I will tell you how this happened. Sherry Stoner wrote the They Might Be Giant segments, wow. and she is she was a writer on Tiny Toons. An interesting fact about her... Not she, a fan. <laughs> Ariel from The Little Mermaid is her. They used her as reference. Physically? <laughs> physically. Or her voice? Physically. So you can so oh. you could YouTube this right now. That's crazy. Um, there's like behind the scenes on the Little Mermaid, and it's it's the animators like drawing her doing the poses and so stuff. So she looks like a mermaid. She does. Wow. <laughs> so she's must the, be nice. So so she's the the Tiny Toons writer. So when I went to kindergarten, I remember um, my first report card, it said uh, that 
Having Sherry in kindergarten is like having a cartoon character in class. We're going to work this year on curbing her wonderful enthusiasm. So I remember this because it, it angered my mother so much that she went in there and read this teacher the riot act about curbing my enthusiasm. But I would I thought of that when I was uh, writing for Babs Bunny because to me she was somebody whose enthusiasm would not be curbed. Here, I'll show you this uh, this interview segment. Uh, well, it's not an audio thing, unfortunately. I Believe me, I tried. But she did say in an interview, I brought They Might Be Giants to the party. Really, the only video I'm responsible for is They Might Be Giants. At San Diego Comic-Con in 2008, there was mm -hmm. a panel with the Tiny Toons people, and someone in the audience asked about They Might Be Giants being in the show. And she said... Uh, she listened to them a lot and thought their style would fit right in with the cartoon. Mm. And she and Art Vitello, the director, thought it'd be fun to animate something to their music. We were touring around the country playing venues to, you know, very small audiences. We were probably making just a couple hundred dollars a night. But it was very much, in, we were in clubland. You know, it's a very modest thing. You know, you just, I remember we played at a club called The Mind Shaft. M-I-N-D Shaft. You know, mm -hmm. what kind of thing? It's called the Mind Shaft. Um, so we were just playing these kind of flea-bitten nightclubs. And, uh, but we were in a van and really barely making any money at all. And uh, the phone call came in from Steven Spielberg's organization. That was the weirdest part about it. Was that, it was that Steven Spielberg called our office, or his, his office called our office, and said, we'd like to license these two songs. And we'd like to pay you, I'm not sure what the amount was. I think it might have been $8,000, um, something like that. It was not a, a, a house buying sum of money, but it was, it seemed like an extraordinary amount of money at the time. And we just said, yeah, sure. You know, we didn't really know what the pitch was that we were going to be starting the Bugs Bunny cartoon series up again. And that seemed very exciting. We didn't really realize that it was, would be Tiny Toons. Uh, that it would be like these baby versions of the of the creatures, but many many people have been exposed to the Mighty Giants music very early on in their lives through those shows. This seems just as random to me as someone from People magazine picking up their demo tape. Yeah, the stars are aligned for this band so much. They've had a lot of good luck, yeah. <laughs> and not to deny the the skill that they have. Oh, but for as, sure. As but me that and is, you know, yeah. skill is really not much of any like getting. Getting these huge chances doesn't even have as much to do with your talent and skill as you would think. So Sherry Stoner is responsible. And in some ways, I think, you know, everyone should be thankful for her because this this massively upped their fan base to massive numbers. I'm uh, thankful. Including myself. I mean, like I said, I'm pretty sure I popped the, that flood cassette in because I was like, I remember these songs from Tiny Toons. I mean, it's funny. It's because at the time it just seemed like this... Again, it was just like a sidebar. We were, we were already doing this college thing. In fact, at that time, we had this, you know, huge selling college radio record. So it seemed like doing a thing like Tiny Tunes was, we weren't thinking in terms of like creating an, an audience for 10 years later that we could then harvest, you know. Uh, I mean, it was, you know, it was just like a funny thing. The downside is, is that it kind of does further the impression that they are a children's uh, act, especially, and by the way, this is pre them doing children's songs. Maybe mm. they wouldn't even mind it as much now. And maybe they've come to accept this now. But back in the 90s, you know, their songwriting was as dark uh, as ever. And, and Flood has a lot of dark material on it. And so does their other albums at the time. And they were working on Apollo 18, you know, during all this uh, happening. 
So linking They Might Be Giants so immediately with this, this Tiny Toons thing, I feel like it is a detriment in terms of your kind of overall, like how, how the world sees you. Critics of They Might Be Giants sound sometimes say that you're in a perpetual state of prolonged adolescence. Uh-huh. How do you deal with that? Do you think that's How do we deal true? with which, which part of it? <laughs> the, the critics or the adolescence part? <laughs> well, both. <laughs> Does well, it bother you? I, 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 don't, I don't exactly feel that way. I think that, that there's something we do where we're, we're kind, you know, we're trying to address what we think of as completely adult issues in our music. And, you know, if you read the lyric sheets, you see it's not, it's not really for kids. I think, yeah. I think kids who like what we do, there's a lot uh, of depth to it that they can, like, grow yeah. into. Um, but, um, but I think that in some ways anybody who, who does creative work has to reach into a, a kind of an you know, a, a certain kind of uh, guileless part of themselves. Well, you often sing songs that sound like uh, uh, they're, they're meant to educate, like Particle Man or Why Does the Sun Shine, James K. Polk. They, they're meant to, but they, but they fail to. Uh, <laughs> Particle Man has no, no educational content. It's just a, a complete, uh, you know, it's, it's mostly nonsense, actually. But I think, you know, I mean, the strange thing, it's, it's strange to be in a rock band and have people go like, you guys are emotionally arrested, and it's like we're, you know, we we dress like our parents, you know, we're completely, you know, we answer questions directly, and it's a very, you know, Peter Pan existence to be in a rock band, you know. I mean, I don't think like people in heavy metal bands or hip hop bands are exactly like, you know, pillars of maturity, you know. So. And your hair is a lot shorter than absolutely. Bon Jovi's. Absolutely. Well, you know, we got to do those, uh, you know, those. Uh, Ad industry gigs. You know. Oh, is that it? <laughs> no, you don't no, no I've always actually, I work for, we're the punk rock guys. You know, we love the punk rock. We've got the punk rock hairdos. I mean, I think to be fair, though, Tiny Toons had dark stuff, too. And a lot of these cartoons <laughs> yeah. have dark stuff. Yeah. I would argue that Looney Tunes is incredibly dark. That's true. So you might say it's a perfect match because it's a misunderstood. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so well, here's the thing. They might be giants. Trailing uh, off. They might be giants seem to have uh, their own impressions of Tiny Toons. I feel there there is a, a, an aspect of Tiny Toons that is like kind of like you know I guess we'd like sarcastic and there's a lot of jokes for adults in it mm -hmm. or references. Well, it has to. I mean, it's based on Looney Tunes. Who the fuck yeah. would be watching it? Yeah. I sound like I'm a huge. Tiny I know you're Toons like you're, no, it's fine. That's good. It's just for argument's sake. So as we can hear, like so, John and John had issues with they they originally thought it was going to be Looney Tunes. Which I think I, that would be a lot cooler. Yeah, as we know, like from other episodes, <laughs> yeah. like they've referenced Looney Tunes a handful of times. Can you imagine if you thought it's Looney Tunes and then you see Tiny Tunes, you're like, "What the fuck is this?" Yeah. <laughs> wow, and, and how does it feel to have a song and a cartoon? Well, the thing is, like we, we spent all this time touring, you know, weeks and weeks, months and months of touring, and that cartoon has had such an incredible impact. Considering that we did absolutely nothing to get it on there, you know, it's it's the least amount of work. The, the really weird thing about the cartoon, though, is it's got this sort of baby Muppet character. Right. So when, when we heard about it, it was, it was uh, presented to us as Steven Spielberg is starting the Warner Brothers cartoons up again. Would you like to be part of it? And we thought, oh, you know, it'll be like this Bugs Bunny, you know, classic, you know, revival of this, of this thing that was a big part of our childhoods. And instead, right. it's like this sort of, I mean, I, I haven't actually seen the thing, so I don't, I don't know what it's... It's about, but I, the, whole, like, the whole like miniature baby thing is kind of right. Like, so there's right. a little too much baby stuff going on. You know, it's like, <laughs> I'm cute. No, I'm the baby of the cute. 
So whether like the baby TMEG is remember what I'm saying. But you know, it's you know, it's not us, it's their thing, it's just our song. It's not even our song, actually. Somebody else wrote the song. But yeah, there's also a particle man. They play they play it all the time. I guess it costs a lot of money to make those things, so so that is basically what happened is, is they, heard, right, they, they heard that it's like these yeah. tiny versions of the characters. It's like and Muppets or Muppet Babies. It was a very easy job because the animators just said, we want to use these two songs off of Flood. You don't have to do anything. You know, here's some money. And, and we didn't even really have a clear idea of what the show was all about. It was like, I mean, frankly, it sounded a little bit weird. It was like described to us as, well, this is Steven Spielberg doing taking uh, Warner Brothers characters and making sort of cute little baby versions of them you know and we we're like whatever you know knock yourselves out so I think it's funny there's a lot going on here like in, in one sense it's great that it got them all, all these fans in another sense it's definitely not like I think John and John's personal aesthetic choice mm-hmm. which is is to have these these little kid versions of the characters. But on the other sense, in 2019, all the stuff they've done, they've done a lot of cartoon music videos. Yeah. So at this point, it's kind of weird to um, chastise it so much because how many of their dial-a-song-online things have been these like silly-looking cartoon mm-hmm. videos? You know, Not well, that they've been for kids, but it's definitely, it's not... I mean, Escape Team alone mm-hmm. is like, here's a little cartoon video about this cartoon guy. Yeah, but those are a little bit weirder. They are weirder, yeah. They have a weirder starting point. But I was going to say, could I mean, they could say no to the Tiny Dunes thing, right? Like, they yeah. don't have to. I just feel like once you're locked into it, you just kind of, they made a choice, right? Well, this this gets back to your, your, your point about selling out. When we were offered the Tiny Toons, we agonized over the idea of taking this, because basically it seemed like a big fat check for a very weird thing that we had no control over. Um, ultimately, we would find out that a whole generation of people would be introduced to our music through Tiny Toons, and it was about as positive an opportunity to get ex- music exposure as you could have a band could have. But while we were driving across America in our white peeler Ford Econoline van with with no, you know, it's one of those vans that has no cushions on the walls. It's just for moving (laughs) mattresses or something. Really like the, the really crummy one. We just felt like we were smugglers. We just thought, hey, man, we're getting a check for five grand. Let's do it, because we certainly aren't getting paid very much playing at these creepy rock clubs. And they came to you, right? Yeah. Up until then, we had been very, you know, we're, we'd been very controlling about how our stuff had been used. We'd never really given permission to anybody to use our songs. We had been approached by Crazy Eddie to use a song, and we said no at a point where we were completely broke. Um, but it just seemed like, it seemed creepy. So like one of the reasons, as as they said, is they were touring a lot and they were yeah. kind of not making tons of money because because everything got kind of bigger for them. But mm-hmm. that also meant like more money to be spent. And they and, say more money, more problems. Yeah. So uh, the Tiny Toons thing was like a great opportunity for them to make like very easy money and not have to think about it. But what's what's funny is that they they really do have to think about it because they have to answer they answered the question a lot about the Tiny Toons thing. And uh, and I do think they were bothered. I think people assumed they were involved in the choices of the music videos. Is that because they look like them? <laughs> we'll have the to video. talk about that too. <laughs> so yeah, there's, there's so much to talk about with the Tiny Toons thing. One, one thing that I think is maybe a little contentious is that they made John Flansburg a pig. They made him Hampton. Yeah. Now, 
there's multiple clips of them being of Landsberg being bothered by this. Yeah, you guys were on um, Tiny Toon Adventures a little while ago. Yep. They did a, like a video of that. How did that happen? What? Well, we just told them it was okay to do it, um, and then it turned out. I guess they like represented us as like a pig and something else, and yeah. they didn't tell us yeah. about that part. Yeah, we really had nothing to do with that. Tiny Toon Adventures is a, is a pretty hip cartoon show. Steven Spielberg is like the executive producer of that thing. Yeah, I, we were a little surprised because it was before they asked us before the show was even. It was the show was still in development, I guess. So it just everyone was saying it's like this super high quality Warner Brothers like cartoon show, right. but we didn't realize that it would involve like baby versions of famous. You know, the baby Muppet thing is kind of frightening. Yeah, and these, and these are baby uh, Porky Pig right, and baby right. Bugs Bunny and stuff yeah. like that. So John was Daffy Duck and I was I was Porky Pig. And what song did they John's use? feelings were a little hurt, I think. Yeah, it was a little... <laughs> took me a little while to get <laughs> straightened out after the Porky Pig part. Right, right. You know, I always, you know, fancy myself, you know, Elmer Fudd, but... No, I'd rather be... I'd rather <laughs> I be don't the, know. I'd rather be the pig. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. So what song did they use? He's got the shotgun, the oh, hat. Into power. It's happening. Okay. He's got it going on. <laughs> um, and didn't, didn't, Kate, didn't that same show also have the roaches? Oh, yeah, that saw. was a different one. That one, they had one that was the whole thing was about the roaches, and this one, they wow. were like doing videos of different bands. Oh, they okay. used cockroaches to represent Yeah. Them. Oh, wow. Terry and... I guess we got away easy. Yeah, really. And you, just a pig and a duck. I got an idea. You're roaches. Real roaches. What tiny tune would you like to be if they had to mm. make you one? I, I like Daffy Duck, and the Plucky Duck is is not too a far uh, a downgrade. I think he's, is Daffy Duck your favorite Looney Tune? He's mine, probably. Yeah, oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> I love how frustrated he is. I relate. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know if Plucky Duck ever gets to those depths of of, frust- of, <laughs> of frustration that Daffy does, but I haven't seen the show in a really long time. Well, Daffy cooled out over the years. Oh, really? I, I think Plucky inherited his mania. Oh, okay. Sure, sure. I know you're a fan of Go-Go Dodo. You oh, once, God, You yes. once said that to me. <laughs> He's so awesome. Yeah. And his episodes, which I watched one recently just to... Really? Only the Go-Go Dodo episode, because I was like, is this as good as I remember? You know? Okay. Was it? Um, It was pretty fucking weird. I mean, it, it holds up, I think. It's like definitely more creative than the other episodes, mm, mm. I would imagine. Interesting. <laughs> so John and John said, they say on their video compilation that they have had never seen the Tiny Toons videos okay. until the release of the compilation when they did commentary for it on the DVD for Direct from Brooklyn. Do you find it strange that they never were curious, uh, even morbidly curious, to watch it? Like, how mm. weird is that? Why not just watch it? They must have watched it. You think they're not telling the truth? It's so weird because I've heard them say a few times that they never saw it. They said around the time that it came out in, in early interviews, they're like, oh, yeah, we haven't seen it yet. Mm-hmm. But then when Direct from Brooklyn comes out, it's been out for so many years, and they're like, oh, we've actually never seen this. I guess it's possible that they just kind of forgot yeah. after a while. It's so strange that you're, you're just like, it would never be interested in a thing that, so, mean, especially the thing so many people They're busy guys. Reference. And I think they're a little afraid. I, I don't begrudge them for... Like it's the ring, like the video. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Watch it and then you turn into a tiny tune. Yeah. Well, I think in the next one, I'm a pig. That's right, yeah. I think that might have been the thing that made me not want to Never get to know these videos any yeah. better. 
so we should talk briefly about what's what's in these Tiny Toons videos. So in Particle Man, it's it's a wrestling match. It's a wrestling motif. It's Plucky Duck. <laughs> That's his name. And he's wrestling. Uh, I guess what would be the various incarnations? Yes, of the characters in the song, the adversaries. Yeah. So there's there's. Part, uh, I guess you got your Plucky, triangle, man. Plucky is particle, man. I, you know, I don't think it's the worst way to, to to do the visually the song, especially if you're doing a kids cartoon. I think it makes it makes, sense. It makes, it makes, it makes sense. Um, there is one thing. There's a weird part where he runs through the wrestling rink, and there's like a painted background. There's this one guy in the audience that looks really weird because it's like a painted person that's yeah. like a noticeably different uh, style than, than everything else. <laughs> so I thought it was kind of funny. Oh, I thought it was funny that even Hampton was against him at the end. He's uh, he's in the cabin in Alaska, I guess, there, or the North Pole. <laughs> yeah, he's escaping, yeah. I do think it's, like, kind of accurate how, because, like, Linnell is singing the song in a deadpan manner, you know, like, Particle Man. Mm-hmm. Like, he's not, it's kind of like what I was talking about in the Birdhouse one, the, the kind of weird lack of expressiveness in mm-hmm. a lot of the flood vocals that I at least find. I mean, some people I'm sure don't agree with me. They have Hampton with the deadpan expression pretty, uh, I feel like it's pretty appropriate. Yeah. Um, and at the end, he looks evil. Yeah, that's strange. <laughs> he wants, the announcer has uh, something to do with this fight, apparently, and wants to kill him also. Wow. It's weird. So Person Man is uh, identified by this wrestler that is uh you you might know from a, a cartoon called bunny hugged from 1951 it's an old wrestling uh looney tunes cartoon with bugs bunny fighting this guy and i think he makes a fool of him <laughs> for a few minutes and then we all we all laugh it's funny before you even mm-hmm. showed me the other one I, I could recognize that guy as being like an archetype of a mm-hmm. the old looney tunes yeah as an antagonist yeah, it's weird that he's Person Man, though, because Person Man should have been a pathetic... Like, Plucky is really Person Man. in the, mm. like it, the, it, it visually gets confusing because Person Man hits Plucky with a frying pan, and but it's like Person Man is supposed to be the one who's put upon, not the one who's dishing out the punishment. Ah. <laughs> Sherry Stone, Stoner, Tiny Toons writer, explain that. Well, now we're just in the weeds, so... <laughs> and then uh, let's just very quickly talk about the Istanbul one. The Istanbul video reminds me of the... I used to watch this a lot when I was little. Did, did you see this as a kid? It's like a, it's called like Bugs Bunny's third movie, A Thousand and One Rabbit Tales. And it's kind of like a similar aesthetic. He's no. in like a kind of like a Middle Eastern country. I and never these, watched the movies, man, because I'm not a poser. I used to watch the uh, Ghostbuster parody one obsessively when I was a kid. Do you remember that? Quackbusters? No, that's like my. If you want to know what clicks the nostalgia switch in me, it's for some Daffy Ducks Quackbusters. I, I find it funny in the video compilation when John and John watch this that they're kind of like dead silent <laughs> for most of it, except being vaguely interested in in the plot happening. I think it's weird that there's a statue of Plucky Duck out there. He has to steal a statue of himself. That is it was him, right? I I think the main point of interest uh, is that there's a shot of Plucky and Hampton. <laughs> Uh, meant to resemble John Linnell and John Flansburg. And they got uh, Flansburg playing the violin. That's totally wrong. Yeah, it's wrong. But the the little tuft of hair, I think, works. Uh, sure. <laughs> and uh, Plucky, I have to say, the John Linnell thing, he's wearing a turtleneck and doing a, a wacky dance, as in, yeah. as in like, the, let's say, the Anna Ng video or something. I think that's uh, I think that's pretty accurate. And he's got the Linnell f- flop on the, the hairdo. The old Linnell flop. I thought that was a cool touch. That, to me, felt like someone involved, you know, or maybe one or more than one people involved were actually 
they might, you know, interested in They Might Be Giants and have seen their other videos, you know, even if they did them... Did them dirty. It did them dirty by making uh, Hampton, you know, by making Flansburg a pig. I feel bad that uh, Plucky held out for Elmira. <laughs> yeah. That was his reward. What a twist. I found Elmira to be just insufferable, even as a kid. Do you think it's weird that it's he's... Just too much. He's shown the photo of her and his sexually attracted to the photo at the start of the Assemble video, and mm. it's revealed that it's actually a small child? Um, no, I think that's fine. <laughs> I guess we could talk about the popularity of Particle Man stemming from the, the Tiny Toons thing, which is like, I guess like the cartoons you watched as a child really burn deep into mm -hmm. your your soul, <laughs> your, who you are, that nostalgia feeling. I was playing Mario Odyssey and they had a reference mm, to... Tell me more. I was playing Mario Odyssey <laughs> and you run into the football guys from Mario World uh. and that feeling... You know what I'm talking Trey about? Bone. That, that feeling, <laughs> and you, yeah. and they made the same sound effect too. Yeah. And that feeling washed over me of like, oh my god, you know that 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 childhood feeling. And Can I never get it back. So I, th I think for a certain uh, generation, I guess our generation, um, the best generation, uh, they definitely uh, those Tiny Toons cartoons were like I used to watch these all the time. They reran all the time. Mm -hmm. So Particle Man and Istanbul, of course they kind of are aligned with that and burned in your brain in that same way. I mean, in a way, like Particle Man might be the, they might be giant song I've heard more than any others because of, I used to watch reruns of <laughs> the Tiny Toons yeah. and stuff. I will say it is funny in the episode when they play Particle Man and Buster Bunny is like, who are these guys? Do you remember yeah. that? Uh, no, funny enough, I haven't seen the Tiny Toons stuff in oh, wow. 20 years or whatever. That, okay, really? I mean, their episodes. Yeah. I'm going, I want to rewatch uh, for this podcast. But I do like the right, I guess Sherry Stoner, who wrote it, is kind of a little defensive about why yeah. would we have two in a row and the character is also like, why are we doing this? That's funny. Yeah. It's uh, a good show. <laughs> Dave is really on the pro Tiny Toons. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I didn't come, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't come here to slam Tiny Toons. I'm just trying to give a little all sides of the story, which is that yeah. John and John had some misgivings about the context of the of the show which they should is have that read their were, contract more closely <laughs> which is that they are not uh the actual looney tunes but didn't they realize it was called tiny tunes not looney tunes i think it wasn't named yet i think this was like pretty early on wow. based on on that uh interview yeah there's a lot of missing pieces of this puzzle yeah <laughs> but i also think that the correlation of they might be giants equals children's cartoon thing it, i do think that's a problem and and it, mm -hmm. it is hard when you're a fan, especially when, you know, I was like a fan when I was like 14, 15, and I'm trying to feel like a cool music yeah, guy. It seems like baby music. And people think it's baby music. And Tiny Tunes does not help that. Mm -hmm. And it is called Tiny Tunes. Like, you yeah. know, I know you're defending that they weren't babies, but I'd say they were around they middle school. Yeah, it should have been called middle school tunes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Going through puberty tunes. So because of this, I, I'm pretty sure solely because Particle Man wasn't a single. I mean, we can talk about that too. Like mm -hmm. it sh maybe should have been, but at the same time, it, it it's like even for They Might Be Giants, Particle Man is not like a rock. So like I don't think you could sneak that onto the air unless it's a certain kind of radio show. Uh, I hesitate to say like a Dr. Demento type mm -hmm. show where it's you're playing kind of silly songs. It is infectious though. People latch onto it very quickly, I think, and and at all ages you know when they play it they play it on almost every single show ever and the crowd like goes crazy yeah. when they play it but i mean me and you don't go crazy no because we're tired of the song
But um, I will say they do keep it interesting live. They like Linnell sneaks in other pop songs yeah. in the in the middle, which I don't know if that's some sort of a a commentary on either like I'm bored playing part, mm. Particle Man and I want to make it more interesting for myself, which is totally fair. Or maybe he's commenting about like songs that get in have kind of catchy like one hit wonders that get in your head, you know, like the way Particle Man might. I don't know. Probably the former. I think he's just bored. <laughs> Particle Man is a song. Like if I'm telling someone Particle Man, about yeah. they might be giants, they'll just go like, and they don't know who it is. I'll be like, oh, you know, Particle Man, and they'll go, oh yeah, Particle Man. <laughs> like I feel like people know it without even knowing why they know it. It's one of those songs, you know, like a nursery rhyme or something. Quick aside, speaking of my new drummer, because we told him we had the podcast, mm. and I was like, oh, do you know them? And he was like, oh yeah, Malcolm in the Middle. You think that's the new one? Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah, God. So. I think Particle Man is a better song than Boss of Me, but we'll, I guess we'll get into Boss of Me in the future. Though he is my age, but you know, it, maybe he wasn't watching cartoons hmm. or wasn't a, wasn't that wasn't on his radar. But like sitcoms, I don't know. But see, so here's the thing: if you like YouTube Particle Man, like so many people have done stuff about it. Mm -hmm. Like they've done little student films trying to do music videos for it. They've done like animations to it. Like I mean, there's there's something you know, like the sing songy. Yeah, uh, man versus man quality to it. Like it, it lends itself to a lot of like plays off of it, right? Like playing on it. They have to keep in mind that they want a Grammy for the Malcolm in the Middle one too. Mm. So that's you're gonna just hear about that. You're gonna hear about people that want awards. Like I hear about movies that I wouldn't have because they won an Oscar or whatever. Yeah. So I saw the Weird Al tour where he did like all of his like rarities, uh -huh. you know, with like a stripped down band where they sat on stools and stuff. And every night he did a cover of a different song. Okay. And from different bands, he did like Talking Heads and he did a lot of bands I like and a lot of random stuff, you know, like Tom Petty or just mm. random stuff, not funny versions, just straight ahead versions. And one night he did Particle Man. Particle man, particle man, doing the things a particle can. What's he like? It's not important. Particle man, is he a dot or Which I, I really had like a not a great feeling about because because mm -hmm. the thing is, Weird Al uh, self uh, describes himself as a huge They Might Be Giants mm -hmm. fan, as we know and we've discussed. And I was like, oh, he's gonna do their one huge popular song. Right. I thought it'd be cool if he did something more random because it was his self indulgent tour. If there's one song to cover that I could, you know, kind of make sense for Weird Al to sing, it's that. Even though, again, Particle Man, it's so hard to defend because it sounds so silly and like a ch childlike song. But like we talked about with the lyrics, the lyrics are complex and and darkly humorous. I feel like Particle Man is it, it's almost as dense as like uh, we talked about their songs with other dense references like Puppet Head or like uh, Purple Toupee. Purple Toupee. Yeah, that's a good one. 
so it's like Particle Man fits right along with that, especially mm-hmm. with all the the backstory behind how you know writing of it. But at the same time, it it comes across as as something that's very. It's I mean, it sounds kind of cute. <laughs> it sounds kind of mm-hmm. funny. Sounds cute, like you. Thank you. There's a lot of you know, but the song has a lot of like violence and despair in mm. it, which I well, feel like they see very clearly, but other people maybe. But that's I don't kind know. of why it's a good fit for Tiny Tunes. I mean, <laughs> maybe a better fit for Looney Tunes, but maybe sure. they maybe they thought the tradition of cartoon violence would have continued more yes. into Tiny Tunes. So the the label Quirky is something I wanted to talk about with you too. Tell me more. Well, so it's like. I think, as you know, They Might Be Giants are often called quirky, mm-hmm. uh, even by their biggest fans. Um, I see it all the time online. Mm-hmm. Quirky this, quirky that. And what's what's fun- Quirky with a baseball bat. <laughs> and what's funny is, you know, how much they hate the term. The two Johns have been making quirky music for the past quarter century now, but Flansburg and Linnell don't care much for that quirky label. There's this thing about the internet where, and I'm sure anyone who is in a kind of public life becomes aware of this, it becomes this very insidious echo chamber. And I think in the very first line of a Wikipedia entry about They Might Be Giants, the word quirky was introduced. For years and years, I would very methodically remove any press clipping that had the word quirky in it. And it was a very good way to kind of guide the lazier of the writers in the world away from that term. But now with the internet, um, it's just a it's just a bonanza for lazy writing because they can just literally cut and paste the word quirky into the first line <laughs> of their They Might Be Giants review. I would like to declare a little cultural uh, boycott of the term. I, I just, I, I do feel like it's, it has no poetry to it. I, I can't imagine why anybody would be interested in something it seems it seems just uh, inauthentic at the core of it, you know. Like it, it seems like a pose rather than than an idea, and that personally does kind of uh, offend me. And sometimes they accept the term. Like I, I just watched an interview where a girl just to their face said, "Like when you like, so you've been doing this nerd rock for a while." <laughs> and Linnell's total straight face. He doesn't he doesn't crack. But they've said that they hate that term, nerd rock. Well, who wants to be called a nerd? <laughs> well, see, because in twenty whatever in the twenty teens. Uh, being a nerd is cool because everything. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm saying that, you know. Hate to break it to you guys. <laughs> so I guess the thing is, the band feels to me like they're they're kind of constantly trying to defend their choices, mm-hmm. uh, which are maybe like some anti-rock choices. Like Particle Man is is not a rock song, though live, like we said, it, it is. It, it, they can make it I, rock. I guess that's kind of my point, though, is like they have this confidence about like this is who we are. And that's not nerdy. It's not nerdy to be confident. Yeah. So I guess I guess my fear about the Tiny Tunes and the Particle Man thing being their most popular song, as opposed to, let's say, a more... I don't know. I'm just like saying this off the top of my head, like a song from John Henry. Mm-hmm. That's just a rock song. Yeah. That's just like super awesome and fun and smart. Particle Man is like this oompa, funny, nursery, playgrounds mm-hmm. type song. And, and that's what everyone associates They Might Be Giants with. Then the people who maybe don't know their other songs will assume, oh, They Might Be Giants are this silly, you know, yeah, silly sure. band that has these silly songs. And and that could be, and let's say the second song they know is Istanbul. That's not really d- doing them favors <laughs> yeah. in, that, uh, in that sense. So what I'm trying to say is this complicated idea, which is not, it's not to say Particle Man is bad or that they are bad for but put, maybe it's a misrepresentation put, yeah it's like it's like a one-hit wonder thing where like well yeah. the song is good but they have other songs that are well they say there's no know. such thing as bad press so no that's true 
But one thing they do hate in the press is when <laughs> they're called quirky. And I think Particle Man certainly adds to that because it's like, how else do you describe that song? And once it's on the web, it's there forever. Exactly. It's like plastic right. bags, exactly. you know, they'll never die. They are the plastic yes. bags of the internet. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And for us, quirky is the is the plastic garbage bag in the in the leafless tree by the dump that you cannot, we cannot pull down. Well, they probably get that idea, you know, about the quirky from the polka rhythms, the cartoon music. Hey, I'm not I'm not even saying it isn't true. I just find it. I'm just I'm just saying it's boring. You know, it's just like I mean, part of it is like you know, of course, of course, you know, we're quirky. I guess you know, I don't know. I mean. But you know, well, can, it's also a way of saying you, you say, don't. It's also a way of saying that you don't. You're not immediately familiar with something, so you, you're just trying to say that it's, right. it's strange. You know, and that's that's like a way of saying that you don't want to get familiar with it. Right. Or that it you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, and also, to be perfectly honest, like until they start saying that, like a lot of other rock music is just like, oh, well, they're part of that whole boring rock. <laughs> Samey, same, same, same. Right. You know, I don't know. I and mean, we're just trying to do interesting work that like captures people's imaginations and, and it's you know, we're pretty dedicated to it and we're pretty serious about it. And I, I don't know, I just feel like our intentions are kind of annihilated by the term. And now we're gonna talk about a real quirky song. Here's a real quirky number. This is for all you quirks out there. Twisting. Twisting. She said your gold is free and now she's Twisting. That's, that's a spicy number. Yeah, so fun. Fun, fun, fun. I thought it was twist in with an apostrophe, but it's twisting. I don't know where I got that impression. Have they named it twist in and other I think you're a fool. other things that they've put out? Even I knew that. Yeah. I guess I'm the bigger fan. Dave, oh! initial thoughts on track eight of Flood? Wow, that's track eight. <laughs> we're, we're only up to track eight. Boy, twisting. I think it's a fun song. It's a good song. It's a fun, good song. <laughs> and I think there's more to it than meets the eye. Really? Like Transformers? Yes. Nerd podcast. <laughs> well, it's it's a breakup song. It um, sure is, Jordan. And it's a it's a it's a harsh breakup song, I'd say. Let me play this song from the new album called Twisting. You want to say anything about this before I play it? It's a rock song. Yeah. It's about it's sort of part of the she hates you, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's another Flansburg breakup song. It's almost surprisingly a, a normal song subject for an album like like Flood. I mean, we have Lucky Ball and Chain too. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like I feel like Flood. Most of the songs are just so strange and abstract or surreal and you know, out of out of the blue. Mm -hmm. And then you've and Flansburg kind of kind of Flansburg does sometimes ground them. I think in a, yeah, in a way that yeah. could be important because I think it is. While a lot of bands or most bands do songs about breakups and stuff, it, it is nice for They Might Giants to have some of those too, because I know when, you know, the times you go through a breakup, it's like, it's nice to have, it's nice if your favorite band addressed the subject at least a few times. Yeah. Um, you want to know that you're not alone. That's right. That's right. Um, I always thought the drums in the song were kind of strange. Do you know in, what I'm talking what about? Sense? So it's such like a, it's an upbeat, accessible rock song but the drums are this strange pattern they're almost kind of like stilted like mm -hmm. like 
fuck, I can't do it like with my mouth. There's those double hits on the snare. It's like it's like a strange beat because like a normal, I feel like a normal accessible. I think the song is kind of intentionally trying to be kind of simple, but it's like not at all a simple drum beat. It's like something that I actually have trouble wrapping my my head around. I think it's slightly surf sounding, but not totally. It's like there's a there's a halt. It's like it's funny. It almost wants to be a surf beat, but it's not. Yeah, yeah. What's holding you back? Actually, with like the keys and everything, it really is starting to remind me more and more of like a, a Beach Boys or a surfy kind of thing. Yeah, it does kind of sound like a beach party song. Right. You can imagine people actually dancing to it. She set your goldfish free. <laughs> That's mean. Because <laughs> it just died right away then, right? I guess it depends where she set it free. True. Um, I remember I have a childhood memory of being here we go driving to a lake and, and letting our, our fish into a lake Why? somewhere i don't remember i think we were like we're, we're done with this oh, <laughs> we're not doing this anymore i'm not sure i actually don't i don't yeah. know why it's pretty useless pet blew out your pilot light and made a wish is a mm. great flansburg line so we've talked about this before but flansburg he writes so much about apartment yeah. life <laughs> uh like so much of his stuff is about being in an apartment that and line alone makes me anxious because yeah. <laughs> i'm like fuck my oven's yeah. broken I had to call the gas company like last year because I didn't know what to, what to do. <laughs> the whole that smelled like gas because the pilot light went out. And I was like, "Help!" You're okay though. I'm okay. I'm still here. Uh, cool. I'm still kicking. But uh, it's a funny line because it's like a birthday cake. Yeah. <laughs> you would make a wish, and what the the wish that she's making is that he is. If we should talk about this now, I guess is that the uh, the ex is being hung by his neck. Huh. And hung till dead, as they say, <laughs> as the... You think that's what this is about? So, yeah. So so the phrase twisting in the wind is about is about being hung from a, a tree. I don't think so. I think it's just about having fun. Yeah. Well, so it's funny because, it, you know, They Might Be Giants have done the thing where, where they take a dance term and, 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 and uh, twist it. <laughs> I was trying to think of another word there uh, to be, you know, morbid and about death. And, and so we've got... You know, swing is a word, six feet down. They've had lyrics about, you know, hanging and stuff before. And and when they did their early live shows, they had a cutout, like, drawing of a noose that they would have on stage Ugh. with them. So what, what's funny is, like, you know, they, they do the song live and it's just this, it, it's just sort of like an, a sincere thing. Like, they'll yell at the audience to, like, hey, everyone, like, twist. Here's the song you can dance to, it's a twist. There's actually one, a few shows that I heard where Flansburg, he's just like, this song, we want you to do the traditional dance and twist. And it's like, is that some strange, like, no, knowing commentary on like, like calling it traditional dance. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the twist. And like the songs about being hung. It's like the idea that it's this tradition over centuries. Mm. I don't know. For, for some reason, I feel like he's saying that with a bit of a, a like a dark wink. That was a name, a proposed name for this podcast. Dark Wink. The Dark Wink. Dark Wink Duck. Duck. <laughs> There's a traditional dance we like to do every time we're down. It's a twist. The quote that's noted on the wiki that I really like is Flansburg saying... You want me to read it? <laughs> yeah, Dave, why don't you read it? It's about a very particular kind of relationship, about breaking up the records. It's not a divorce. It's about people who live in apartments. It's not some grand projection of man and woman figures breaking up. We live in a rock culture, and it's just a realistic reflection of that. When you talk about living today, that's the backdrop, baby. So, so I really, I really like Flansburg. Thank you, by the way, Dave. It was nice to give my voice a rest. 
That's um, why I'm here. Um, I really like the line, we live in a rock culture. And if I feel like that's the most, <laughs> <Do> we, <though? laughs> I feel like that's the most like Flansbergy line. He does. <laughs> yeah, no, he does. And and he's I rock and, and roll, I like baby. that he's pulling us into his world yeah. in this song. And I feel like this is they they constantly say their songs aren't autobiographical, but this this feels so lived in to me. I've always loved songs, and I've always loved pop music. I was seventeen and seventy-seven. I was the perfect age to be completely hypnotized by punk rock and new wave music. So in the Rolling Stone track-by-track flood article, Flansburg, uh, he gives some insight into the inspiration for the song, and he says the DB's song Amplifier was kind of a prototype for this song, and, and let's listen to that now, because he says Amplifier is a more melodramatic iteration of the same idea. So this dark. DB seems to be a band that Flansburg really likes. And Amplifier is a song about a, a guy killing himself. Um, it, it almost sounds like it's a comical song, but it's, it's I guess it's not. But, but um, I mean, I guess it's comical in how morbidly dark it is. Was it someone they knew? Because then it's not funny. Yeah, that's funny. That would be the the, the difference. Yeah. <laughs> if it's just like, I'm going to fuck up the audience by singing this dark <laughs> song. Like I've done that in my songs where I'll write a line that to me is so sad that I find it funny. Mm-hmm. But like to the audience, it's just really sad. But uh, and I think that's a lot of like the Smiths and kind of the inspiration there. It's just like so sad that it's funny. This song is just a guy who kills himself because his... The person who broke up with him uh, took everything. Well, it is funny because in the DB song, she took a bunch of stuff. Yeah. And in Twisting, she took the DB's records. Yeah. So it's like she took those and everything in the songs, too. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. It, it's like this world within worlds. Exactly. Like, Landsberg does. It's a subtle thing because... You might say it's twisting in on itself. Exactly. It's like a spiral. A spiraling shape. Yeah, I, I think Flansburg is is kind of subtle with this kind of writing. Like, for example, like, we're the replacements when mm-hmm. he says, like, oh, it's about, like, the replaceable nature and being in this universe where you're just living the same life. As, yeah. But the lyrics to the replacements are so simple. Right. And so there, there's these, like, deep ideas in these. Well, like Weep Day, where it's just <laughs> about, like, you know. <laughs> That's simple lyrics. Yeah. Well, it's just about uh, <laughs> occupying different spaces at the same time. And yeah, yeah. Exactly. I really like that. Physics. So there, he's listing all the things that, that this, this ex uh, took from him before he killed himself. And then later in the song, it says that she left his amplifier. Hmm. And then the lyrics go, they're a little hard to hear in the clip. So the lyrics go, an amplifier is just wooden wire and wire and wood don't do any good when your heart is blazing like a wildfire and all you've got to show for it's an amplifier. So what's interesting is that twisting is kind of in conversation with this song, yeah. you know, like... Both songs are, are kind of saying a similar thing. He's saying an amplifier won't do any good. Twisting is just saying you don't even need to play her amplifier because she doesn't she doesn't even care. Turn off your smoke machines and turn off your amplifier because she's not interested. She's bored. She's bored of you. But she left this amplifier. An amplifier to 
yeah, both songs really are talking to each other. Or maybe Twisting is talking to Amplifier, at least, and Amplifier <laughs> might be ignoring it. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think the most relevant uh, thing about the DBs, at least, is that Will Rigby is a band member. And Will Rigby, he has a Hello Disc of the Month uh, release. So there's the little connection there. Cool. Uh, the, the next verse, Dave, she's not your satellite. Twisting, twisting. The use of the word satellite to mm -hmm. embody like the way a person would revolve, revolve around another. Do you, have you seen that anywhere else in anything? That notion? What I mean is, is this a cliche or is this something Flansburg is kind of pulling out of nowhere? I've never seen that before. The only other thing is... But I've never seen a lot of things, Jordan. <laughs> um, there's an XTC song called Another Satellite that's mm. all about the same thing, which is that it's about... It's Andy Partridge from XTC is, is telling a woman who's kind of tempting him away from his marriage and, you know, to back off because he doesn't yeah. want to cheat on his wife. And ironically, that's he is now married to that woman that the song was about and divorced from his wife. Oh, boy. And in the song, he says, I don't need another satellite. And mm. like the whole the whole song is a... You know, I don't either, but it'd be nice if somebody tried. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, I'm kidding. So I wonder if Landsberg was inspired at all by the XTC song or if he just made up the term himself or if this is something that's kind of common in poetry or something. I don't know. It's something I've only seen in these two songs. It's surely so a it term me. I have never heard before. Turn off your smoke machine and Marshall stack. This is the rock, yeah. the rock culture. Marshall that stack. That's a good amp, man. Yeah. So what is, Dave, do you want to go? Powerful what amp. is that? It's a bunch of amps on top of each other? No, it's just it's a big stack. ass amp. Oh, it is. I thought a stack meant it was a bunch of like things literally stacked on top no, of each other. No, I don't other. think so. I think it's just a, a well-known sort of like tried and true, really great, powerful amp. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, uh, as we say in the business, a gearhead. Yeah, I'm not either. And that's that's kind of always plagued me because I'm I'm so into music and I'm even into recording yeah. and stuff, but I can't... Um, remember the names of things very well so bad at that stuff and i've had a lot of conversations with other musicians like oh what kind of guitar to use and i'm like uh it's, it's like got a, all the strings <laughs> i was like it's black and white <laughs> and it's like kind of good i go by instinct man i go by feel yeah me too me you too it's like if i can play it easy yeah I like to use that yeah i mean my guitar player would know more about specific kinds of amps and pedals and it's, good, kind of it's good to have someone like that in your band because they'll like make things sound good. But well, I was just asking him, I'm like, um, fix this. <laughs> yeah. No, I when I, the times, you know, I've had bands, I've really struggled with like, why does my guitar sound like shit? And like, I can't like at practice or even at shows, unfortunately. And it's like, if I was a gear guy, I'd be like, oh, it's because of this and that and that. Yeah. And I should buy that. But I've always like been like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Look, I just say, plug me in and let me go. <laughs> Don't I always say that? Yeah, you do say that. I don't got time to learn all the fucking bullshit. You know, I'm too busy rocking. So I like I like this line he's saying, like, she doesn't miss you, so turn off your smoke machine. He's basically like, don't be like this emo. Dramatic. Yeah, like, you're writing all these, like, heartbreak songs about her, so to, like, get over it. He's basically exactly. saying, get over it, Buster. Buster Bunny. She doesn't have to have her young, fresh fellas take back now. But there's not a lot of things that... The next uh, line is, is something that speaks to me. She doesn't have to have her young, fresh fellows tape back. So I have a lot to say about this uh, 
particular part of the okay. song because I, I am a fan of the Young Fresh Fellows, uh, most definitely because of this song, making me aware of, mm-hmm. of them. I think this song more than anything was meant to sound like the Young Fresh Fellows. Okay. So Flansburg said in the Rolling Stone article, this song was directly influenced by the bands it references. Uh, do you have any uh, certain artists that you tend to follow a lot in their styles of music or whatever? Well, you know, there's a there's a whole set of bands from the late 70s and early 80s that I think, you know, had a pretty big effect on us as well. I mean, Perubu and Jonathan Richmond, The Residents out of San Francisco. And there are times when I've, I've, I've been writing a song and I realize it's it's too close to something I've, I've heard before and it's kind of tragic. There's actually a Young Fresh Fellow song that that I wrote too. And, uh, <laughs> and it, it was such a drag because, you know, I was, I was really thinking, like, this is really coming together. And, uh, and, then, I, and then, you know, I realized that, that I actually heard it. You know, I'd seen a live band performing a cover of it. So while I don't think it sounds like, I think he's blending the DB's song subject matter with the sound of the Young Fresh Fellows mm-hmm. is what I'm pretty sure he's doing here. And I'll, I'll play some Young Fresh Fellows songs that I really love and that I think kind of sound a little bit like twisting in terms of the tone. So even the way he, the, he sings Twisting on the album sounds like this song to me, like the doubled vocals and the kind of tone of voice. I do hear it, yes. Because like Flansburg doesn't I usually agree. sing like he does in Twisting, and I actually yeah. find it to be like a very pleasant sound of his voice. Like pleasant. I really, I really like it. You know, I mean, like compare that performance to the performance in like Hot Cha. <laughs> <Or>, oh. <laughs> I was talking about the same album at least. Yeah. But like, like you know, or they might be giants. The song, mm-hmm. you know, it's like he's doing a voice for Twisting, and that voice is like a indie college rock. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Which I find interesting because it's subtle. It's not like something that's comical or like a parody. Well, his voices are usually subtle, you know, like Chespie's face or whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's a few early live versions of the song where Flansburg seems to be doing like a vocal impression of the way Scott McCoy from Young Fresh Fellows, he's also in other bands, Minus Five, um, which has a a Hello CD of the Month disc also. He seems to be doing an impression of how he sings and the way he sings, he kind of has this like nasal, kind of like a stuffed nose quality of his Mm -hmm. voice, like... Like today I'm good, <laughs> like almost Elvis Costello. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say. yeah, they they kind of had that in common, and like you know, we've talked a little bit about like Flansburg's true voice, which I think like has had weird, you know, different permutations over the years, and there's the performances of Twisting. I feel like he's being Scott McCoy. I buy it. <laughs> I wanted to play a few Young Fresh Fellows clips for a lot of reasons. One is because they're some of these albums are some of my favorite albums. Um, 
when me and Dave were in a band called Troubles Afoot, mm. which still exists as just me making recordings. Uh, if you ever want to Google, give that a Google. I wanted to cover this song, which uh-huh. is a great Young Fresh Fellow song called How Much About Last Night Do You Remember? The title's familiar. Yeah, I think I played Did it Did we ever for cover you. it? No, we never tried it. But to me, this is like what I wanted my band to sound like. So I'm going to play this song because it's awesome. Okay, everyone, shut up and listen. <laughs> I love that song. That song like instantly fills me with energy. You know those songs you put on like a running playlist for all you athletic types out no. there? Yeah, Dave, you know what I'm talking about? Um, actually, energy. I made a running playlist right before I stopped uh, trying to do running every week. It's kind of sad. <laughs> that song reminded me of the Descendants a little bit. You know? The oh, really? No, I don't know them. The interplay between the guitar and the bass runs. Oh, so that's, that's, that's what I was aiming for with what we were aiming for with our well, band. I think we... Because uh, we're a three-piece. I think we achieved it. We fucking nailed I it. I don't think we aimed Fuck. for it. I think we... Uh, <laughs> we topped it. We we wrote the book. Yeah, they're, no, they're just a punk band uh, that I like. They're pretty important. And uh, <laughs> That'd be a good, like, press, like, on their debut album, yeah, the little sticker on the band. CD. Just a punk yeah. band. <laughs> I think most people that are, have knowledge of punk know the Descendants. They're pretty, pretty well-known, but... uh. I always love bands that have good like runs of between and guitar and bass. Oh, I love it too. And uh, and the drums are doing stuff in there too. I will not tolerate a, a dull, and the energy a dull too. bass line. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. well the en- so the, the way that the way the Young Fresh Fellows, some of their albums sound so lo-fi, like that song. If you listen to the drums, like they're not full sounding. There, yeah. there's not a lot of frequencies there. It's pretty like. I don't know, like kind of, it's very garage rock. And yeah. I'm like, I'd be happy if my stuff sounded like that. Like, I don't care. Like to me, it's just the energy of it. Mm-hmm. I also want to play um, this clip from the song Agar's Revenge, which specifically has a lot of organ in it. That mm-hmm. that feels reminiscent of Twisting to me because I was trying to trying to place where Flansburg's drew inspiration because I'm pretty sure he was trying to make Twisting sound like Young Fresh Fellows. This came out right before uh, Flood did. So this could be something. like it a lot i don't think it's to me it's like kind of like a minor version of the twisting mm. riff like din, instead of din, 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 it's like din, 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 din. Sure. um i don't know could be a stretch but i i wanted to talk about one very special young fresh fellow song and you know being that this podcast is kind of like an insanely long form autobiography for me if you pick out the the bits where where I talk about my life. Dave, too. Dave's got some chapters. <laughs> Dave has a few chapters in, in the my autobio. So, it's all about you, Jordan. So what happened in... in uh, my, my first girlfriend broke up with me yeah. back when I was uh, in college, or it was the summer, right before a year of college started, 2002. 
And uh, you know the thing that happens in a relationship where you like you play the same albums you love together mm. and you like connect. So like she liked They Might Be Giants and and a lot of other bands I liked. So there was this brief time where I was like, I can't listen to any of the albums that I normally like because sure. I played them all for her. I was insanely distraught over the breakup, as Dave might remember. And um, so I was like, I can't listen to the same albums I normally listen to. So what happened was because... Uh, they Might Be Giants did TMBG Unlimited mm-hmm. in 2001 with uh, E-Music. So this we're going to get into all that in a future episode more in depth. But um, because I signed up for that, E-Music gave you like this uh, credit to buy a few albums for free. And I remember looking around E-Music, oh, let me use this credit. And I had bought four Young Fresh Fellows albums, just totally uh-huh. blind, being like, oh, they, they might be giants mentioned them in a the song. Exactly. You needed some music to heal the hurting? Well, so the, those four albums kind of sat on my computer for a while when I didn't really listen to them. And then when I didn't have any other music to listen to, I basically only listened to them for like at least a month or two. Not only did I just find it to be like good, solid, fun, catchy songwriting, but it actually like really helped me get over the breakup. It healed your heart. It it truly did. Um, a lot of their songs are about like being distraught over a breakup, but there's one song that I want to just just talk about very quickly called "Sitting on a Pitchfork." I never thought that happiness could come so easy. Sitting on a pitchfork, uh-huh. never figured misery could disappear so fast. You remember Dave? Yeah, you covered it. Yeah, so I, I, the song like really, really, it literally healed me. And mm. for me, this ties into twisting because the idea that we live in a rock culture and, and these rock songs are like this crucial part of our lives and like maybe from the outside, like people who aren't into that kind of thing could like not understand. But uh, for me, like I felt a million times better because of getting into this song. And the reason is because this song, it's kind of about... So it's called sitting on a pitchfork because it's about being like, I'm in pain, but it's awesome. And mm-hmm. he's like, the whole thing is like this sarcastic thing about everything's great now that I'm sitting on a pitchfork and it doesn't matter that you left me because I'm sitting on a pitchfork. I never really thought of that before that like you could have a breakup and be like happy that you're mm-hmm. sad, you know, that kind of thing of like, at least, you know, it's like, I'm sad, but why not enjoy being like sad? Like Kurt Cobain said. <laughs> I miss the comfort of being sad. Uh-huh. It's important. Yeah. Well, thankfully, my journey didn't go where his did. <laughs> yes. So sitting on a pitchfork, like, single-handedly, like, made me... It, it didn't make me, like, stop feeling things, but it made me be like, this is my thing. I'm sad about the breakup, and I, I it made me able to function on it. Because for a while, yeah. there, there was a, at least, like, two weeks where I couldn't even process. Like, I just couldn't understand what was happening. And I was like, I don't feel like making jokes anymore. I don't feel like watching the things I like to watch on TV. I don't really, mm-hmm. I don't even feel like seeing my friends. There was like at least a, a few weeks of that. Except you, Dave. No, I, I like couldn't. How could you resist this? <laughs> I basically like forgot how to enjoy life. And sitting on a pitchfork made me be like, oh, I could, I could feel sad, but also enjoy life. And that was like, 
That was like really yeah. meaningful. So I, I also I did cover the song a few times. It's called growing, Jordan. And exactly. I think you did a little of that. And Dave helped me a lot, by the way. Like I had a lot of phone conversations with Dave. <laughs> Dave. A lot of phone sex. <laughs> I had a lot of... Dave helped me out when... Lended a hand when exactly. I... Exactly. No, We don't I, need to get into specifics. I, he helped... I had a lot of long, long phone conversations yeah. with Dave about like... Like, ah, just like... <laughs> like, who cares about her? Like, Dave's kind of like brass coldness <laughs> kind of like true. did a lot for me in a weird way because he was just like he's like just who cares about her like yep. just stop and Fuck I, it it actually worked it really did work um that's what i'm here for so yeah so give me that slap in the face so this is a clip of me pr- covering the song and i just i thought it'd be fun to show like the way that these these rock songs are important in our lives Welcome to the stage here at the Sidewalk Cafe, Jordan Cooper. Hi. Okay. Um, this is, I'm starting with the cover. This is a Young Fresh Fellow song that has uh, helped me see the bright side of things lately. And it's called Sitting on a Pitchfork. I never knew that anything could be this good. Sitting on a pitchfork, uh-huh. I never thought that anything could feel so fine Sitting on a pitchfork, uh-huh I never knew that what could last all night and day Hey, hey, hey and so one one thing that I thought was interesting that I found is that Scott McCoy, the Young Fresh Fills guy, has actually mm-hmm. commented on the song. Um, I, cool. I don't have an audio clip, which makes me want to, you know, jump out the window every time that Jordan, happens. Jordan, Jordan, <laughs> you, you'll be all right. But I'll, I'll read this. This was from a Washington Post article. I want to hear it. And I love how big you made it so I could read it from yeah. over here, too. So from this Washington Post article, Scott McCoy is quoted as saying, I thought we had achieved a modicum of notoriety with the Young Fresh Fellows, and suddenly we became, oh, you're the band in that They Might Be Giant song. Huh. I was proud of that. Yeah. So I think that's, that's pretty cool. That's amazing that he actually commented on that song. I, I, I did not know that happened. This is what happens when you do deep dive Google searches, yeah, yeah. which I do for this show for weeks and weeks. And then there, I found that it's funny because when I was Googling this, uh, this comes up a lot on every article about the Young Fresh Fellows. Like there was an article that started... It was a review of a show they did, and the review started with, a Seattle pop rock band, the fellows aren't known for much more than being mentioned in a line in a They Might Be Giants song. Well, that seems unnecessary. I know, that, that <laughs> seems a little strange. It might be the truth, but it seems a little like... That's mean. <laughs> and I don't like being mean. Uh, another thing I want to talk about musically with this song is I really, I think my favorite part is the pre-chorus. That she wants to see you. With all the organ. Yeah. yeah. So do you hear what I'm hearing? Which is like, there's this kind of, it's like the organ has like an octave under it that makes it feel the so. arpeggio. Yeah. And it makes it feel like really full and like, there's this cool quality of the production that I've not heard in any of their songs before. She wants to see you again. She wants to see you again. Slowly twisting. There's something about that part when mm. there's the crazy uh, drum fills that mm. are non-realistic <laughs> drum fills. Yeah. They're completely... Robot compl- fills. Exactly. And then you've got like this 
kind of bassy organ under the mm-hmm. it's not the bass because i've really listened like i don't think it's the bass notes i think it's like it's just this really like whizzy fun organ going on and it's a great pre-chorus i enjoy the the how fun the bridge is you've got this like pounding drums mm-hmm. and then it sounds like a sample of a scream i i wish mm. I, I wonder where that scream came from i i think it's a mystery yeah, sounds like flansburg to me mystery scream you don't think so I don't know. To me, it almost sounds like a clip from like an old movie or something, mm. but I, I could, I, I have no idea. I mean, they could have just done that with like effects, you yeah. know? I think it's him. Do you know the scream? Contact us at don't let's yeah. start podcast at gmail.com. And I, another part I love is like, do you ever notice there's really, really quiet vocals saying twisting in the background? Yes. Yeah, I don't know. There's just like this quiet, like twisting, like really quiet in the background. Yeah. Maybe people will be like, everyone's heard that before. Stupid, stupid fan of band. I think that'll be, just be me. Yeah, that's, yeah. I edit out all the time that's Dave my, says I'm stupid. That's your impression of me. Mm-hmm, it is. That's how my wife does my voice. I'm Dave. Uh, in my wife's defense, she does like every man voice is just, oh, duh, I'm a man. <laughs> I also wanted to just very quickly talk to you about like this song is such a rock song, mm-hmm. but when you compare the album version to like the live version, the album version really feels very restrained. <laughs> yeah. Do you yeah. ever think about that? No, the live version is a rock song. Yeah. The live version is like crazy yeah. and on every level. Like it's faster and it's more fun and the guitar solos and stuff, but like yeah. even like what Linnell's doing the organ. And so, you know, Whereas in the in the album version, he just goes again at the end of the bridge. Live, it'll just be like you know, smashing. Sometimes I wonder, like, why not have that energy on the album versions of songs? Yeah, and I think like this is something me and you think about a lot because it's like I know when I was when I was working on like an album that I made last year, I was like very determined to be like, I want it to feel exciting and not just be like a watered down, not that twisting's watered. It's kind of hard to explain because they might be giants is a strange band because yeah. the robot feel of the drum robot <laughs> <laughs> because the robotic feel of the drums yeah. and the drum fills, especially the one after the scream, which is very kind of yeah, comical yeah, yeah. is sort of part of what they're doing. But then you, when you hear the live version, you're like, Oh, this song could really explode. So why not? I guess it gives you somewhere to go with it. Well, it's really hard. You need to you need to balance the the energy and exuberance of the live performance with the refinement of the recording process. Yeah, it's such a fine line because sometimes you don't want it to be too wild and crazy. You want it to sound like a production, like yeah. something went into it. See, it's funny. I'm really torn because it's like yeah. in but some it's ways too that's timid. It's it's boring. Yeah, you don't want it to be stiff. But in but also in some ways though, that's what I like about they might be giants. Yeah, yeah. Is they appeal to that uh, kind of uptight side of me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you see them live, it appeals to the more like uninhibited side of you. You know, they they, they balance these two things pretty pretty interestingly yeah. like for me like the way twisting twisting twist the way twisting sounds get it right is like the charm of the song and why it's like so pleasant to listen to but then 
when you hear a live version, I sometimes I do, do like, would it have been better if it was a little looser, a yeah. little more exciting? And the thing is, I wonder is like, does this come up? You know, like when they're recording the song, like was Lin- did Linnell be like, oh, do you want me to like change up the mm-hmm. organ on the last part or just? And they're like, no, no, because it has this has to be this structurally yeah, yeah. tight. I don't know. I, I wonder if that's like a conversation. We may never know. <laughs> <laughs> Not unless we ask them, and they're right here. And hey, John, why'd you fuck up twisting? <laughs> just kidding. I do love twisting. Um, I think I think especially as a relief after Particle Man or the <laughs> really the first half of Flood, which is. Like it's it's great to just have this like kind of college rock song, you know, very youthful (laughs) kind of song. I guess to finish up twisting and to finish up the episode, I'll say it is funny. I did go quite a long time before realizing that twisting was referring to (laughs) hanging, you know, Uh, by the neck. Like young naive, they they kind of sneak that stuff in in a way they don't because it's all right there. But if you're just casually listening, and especially if you're seeing them live, maybe you haven't heard the song much or before at all. You're just like, yeah, twisting. Because twisting in the wind is a term that just means like leaving somebody hanging. It took me so long to realize because it's just such a fun song. And oh, but sneaky. What I love about They Might Be Giants is the more you you dig into the th- the lyrics, there's just more and more death references and disturbing references that pop up. And uh, I wanted to, I guess we'll end the episode, right? Yeah. Dave, wow. I hope you guys enjoyed this crazy, this is like a really schizophrenic episode. <laughs> Um, but I, I think it's cool. And uh, what are we on now? This was part three of Flood. Part three of Flood. Okay. We're, part three of thirty-seven. And uh, next time, we're I think we're going to cover. We're sort of done with the most popular songs of their yeah. entire career. So I feel like it'll be yeah. a little more smooth sailing, uh, you know. And we'll be able to cover more songs per episode. I think it's episode. been smooth sailing. <laughs> I think true. it's been really smooth. We'll say again, we are at Don't Let's Pod on Twitter. Uh, we are also at Don't Let's Start Podcast at gmail.com. Yeah. Please, if you enjoy these flood episodes and our past episodes, give us a nice rating on iTunes yeah. or whatever rating. Nice rating means five. Five. Five out of five. Because I don't know what other rating is worth a damn. Yeah, we've gotten a few new ratings lately, and it always makes me happy. I check it obsessively. <laughs> It always makes me smile when I see we've got a new five-star rating. It means a lot to me. I also want to say, I don't say this enough. Thank you to the people donating every month. Yes, thanks, guys. There's a couple people doing it, and they're unbelievably amazing for doing that. And I feel like I just don't mention it enough. But we are telling you right now, thank you. You are gods among men. So thanks so much. Thank you. I am very excited about the next part of Flood. There's a lot of songs I'm like super anxious to to get to. One of them is my favorite song. Oh my God. Which one will it be? I said it last episode. And uh, Dave, you look like you're something's like up your your mind. (laughs) What what do you got to say? Well, I feel like a hypocrite talking to you. Fair enough. Bye. Particle man, particle man, doing the things a particle can. What's he like? It's not important. Particle man, is he a dot or is he a speck? When he's underwater, does he get wet? Or does the water get him instead? Nobody knows particle man. Triangle man, triangle man, triangle man hates particle man. They have a fight. Triangle wins, Triangle Man.
Universe man, universe man, size of the entire universe man. They find the smaller man, universe man. He's got a watch with a minute hand, millennium hand.